What's up, everybody? This is Universal Dialect. I'm your host, uh, Cypher73. My real name is Chris Cabrera. They also call me C73 Eternal. And I'm formerly known as Cool Chris, but that's another story for another day. My first guest on my first show, I'm honored to have him. He's a brother to me, him and his family are my family. Uh, this is Quest the Unborn Child. How you doing, my brother? Yo, yo, peace, peace. So what's, what's good, my man? Yo, maintaining Saturday, thank God. Yes, the weekend, and then we go back to that grind on Monday, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But we'll, we'll leave it on Saturday, you know, rest mode. Yes, that's it, brother. So, again, rest thank mode. you for coming on the show, my man. Um, I've known you for about, I don't even know, Um, like I got out of the military in 2002. I want to say I contacted you probably in 03. Remember when I contacted you? Yeah. I and was living, Um, I had just moved to... Uh, I just moved up here to Orlando, but I was leaving. I was um, in the deep part of um, Kissimmee. Yeah. Like near near 27 when I had uh, pulled up an email and and I wasn't really sure, man. I was, you know, I was like, you know, who's this? Why, you know, why they want to interview me? Well, that, that's the thing. Like I, I, I would do that to other artists. I would just email them just randomly because I felt like, you know, I didn't want to go through somebody else to get like connections. So I figured I'd just do it myself. Yeah. I'll be okay. honest. A lot of times it was hit or miss. Like a lot of times people were like, I don't know you. And yeah, don't, don't send me emails here no more. They thought mm-hmm. it was spam, you know, but, uh, but graciously you were able to contact me. You know what I mean? And the reason why I think it is because like when I first heard you, I heard you on a compilation and I, I know, you know, what compilation that is. I don't know if you want to tell me, but Comodos. The Comodos compilation? No, not the Comodos. Um, was, it was the Comodos. Wasn't it the Comodos compilation? No, no. I I was listening to the Comodos comp- compilation. I looked for other artists, and your name popped up in another compilation. And I think that was right. the original Paramano, or was it was it a, a different compilation? Um, it was called uh before it was Paramano. It was called Ho- uh, Hover Rock. Okay, so that's right. It was Hover Rock. That's right. Yeah, it was that's, Hover Rock. Uh, that's Kems and the, and and those dudes from Miami. Yeah, it was um PFM. Right. Uh Kem, well, I think Kems got on like later, but it was um started between Hover Rock was between Jess and PFM. Right. And um I think they had a falling out at that time and after they had that falling out, um you know, they went their own separate ways and um Jess as a partner had got removed from Hover Rock. And then that's when uh I believe uh PFM brought in Kems and, and some other heads, you know, um on from his side. And then Jess went on his own journey to um, you know, start up uh Paramano. Right. And the reason why I made that connection is because I know that you're affiliated with a lot of the dudes from like Boston, like Kiki, AKA K the I. Yeah. Because he was on that, that, uh, Comodos, you know, it made me want to look up more artists similar to him. And then that's when Hover Rock popped up. And that's when I saw a picture of the dudes in Hover Rock and I realized, yo, I know fucking chems. I know that dude. Yeah. That is, that's, that's when I was able to find you, I think on MySpace, and I hit you up on MySpace. I don't think I sent you an email. I think it was a MySpace message I sent you back. No, it it was, it was an email that I had gotten. Yeah. It was an email with a, with like a questionnaire. I remember. And, um, 
So it, I didn't. It, I didn't even. It wasn't long. Huh? It, it wasn't long. Like you know, you were, yeah, yeah. You were reaching out. You know, you you were like, this is you know, Cipher Seven Three, and um, you know, I'm reaching out to you about being as an artist. So you know, I was intrigued by the email. So I, I read the email, and I think um, I opened up the document. It was you know a questionnaire. So I, I um, I remember just going through the questionnaire, and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Well, you know, fuck yeah, it. Yeah. So knowing you all these years, you know, uh, and the stories that you've told me, you've been to a lot of places. So let's go into your beginnings, like your origin story, so to speak. Like, where were you born and raised? And what's, what, what, like, where did you move to? Like, you know what I mean? Man, um, I was, you know, born in Brooklyn. Yeah. Raised in Brighton Beach, between Brighton Beach and Coney Island. And um, about early 80s, maybe like 83, 84, maybe. No, not 84, maybe like 82, 83. I moved to Staten Island. And um, what area? Because I know that, you know, people who are into the hip hop culture, they know that's where the Wu's from. Yeah, yeah. They they were from uh like you know Park Hill, Stapleton area. They um they're 10304. I was 10303. Mm. So I lived um right there. Yeah, yeah, we you know, right there. So I I lived on uh Forest Avenue and Dixon, um and like my area was kind of like Morningstar Road. I don't even remember my address, man. It was like 427 Morningstar Road. Yeah, it was a corner house. You know, and speaking of Morningstar, we're gonna talk about <laughs> this later. It be it turned into Morningstar Strain, which was became a song. Yes. Okay. All yeah. right. Just, just want to make that connection. We'll we'll make it. We'll make that later. But go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, my man. No, all good. So yeah, so I, I you know, for the most part, um, was raised in Staten Island, and uh, a lot of you know did a a lot of stuff there. Yeah. And then stuff. Yeah, stuff. Right, right. I got stories, but I don't know. I'll try not to incriminate myself. Hey, and, uh, the names. Change the names. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, um, and then from after, like, 91, I had moved to Jersey. And I moved to Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, lived there for maybe until, um, I no. Until I graduated, um, out of there was like a like a like a middle school. What year? What year? Oh man! Because um, you you were in the eighties, running through the eighties. So is this in the nineties or still in the eighties? This is the nineties. Okay. So if you, I mean, if you want me to talk about Staten, I can talk about Staten. Right, right. You know, like my my experiences there. Because um, yeah, when you were living there, this is the nineties, correct? In Jersey, I, I lived in, uh, it was the 90s. When I lived in, um, when I lived in Staten, it was from like early 80s all the way up to 91. Okay, so let me ask you a quick question. Okay, so did you see any influences of the Wu then? Were they like, because you would know if they were, because you were around them, like through our conversations, you knew people that were in yeah. that crew. Um like were they already forming things then? Do you know? Did you know anything about that? So I was there during the time when they were getting themselves together as a crew, and um, that's like 
I don't know if you saw the episode where everybody was sharing tapes. Yes. Okay. That shit was factual. Like that was real. Like that's how on the island, that's how you got music. It's like the Staten Island, and I, I forgot who it was. I think it was a ghost when he said like Staten Island's like a jail. And that's how things were like, that's how you found out about music. Like, you know, you knew about music for, you know, some of it because of the radio, but as like a hip hop head, you know, when you're around others, like they would dub a tape and just get passed around, passed around, passed around. So, you know, we would, I wasn't walking around with a radio yet, but I had friends that would walk around with like boom boxes. So that's how you would hear. And it was like, yo, I, I need a dub of that. So they would dub you the tape. Correct. And, you know, and sure enough. So I, I heard I heard stuff, you know, I was never around them per se. Right. Um, I was around probably like friends and, and you know, family members and like that, you know, young ones, because I was young right. at, that, at that time. And they went to different schools than I did. But um, I remember the guards, you know, this is when I was in, um, this was when I was in, uh, like, going into the seventh grade, when I went to PS51, um, we would see the guards outside, you know, they would stand outside, and as we were passing, you know, they'd be, like, you know, kicking knowledge and, and things like that, and they wouldn't kick knowledge to everybody, you know, most of them, they would, like, clown a lot of people passing you, Right, right. Because I guess they could tell, you know, and um, how you walk, probably. <laughs> you walk with a know, bottle. I don't, I don't think about, you know, how you walk, but, you know, um, Staten Island, and uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but back in those days, Staten Island was one of the most racist um, boroughs. It was, like, really segregated. You had your Hispanics in certain areas. Um, you had like where they were Stapleton and Park Hill was was mainly, you know, black and Spanish also. And then um, but then you had a lot of parts of Staten Island that were just white, white Italian. Uh, OK, yeah. yeah. Sis- from, from Sicily, probably the Sicilians. and whatnot. Yeah. And we weren't allowed to walk in those areas. Yeah, because they would run you out of there. Yeah, they would run you out of there. You know, um, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, the one thing that the parents don't know is that it was um, living on on the island was every man for themselves. Because at six years old, I was already carrying a buck knife. Yeah, because you had a that was your way of survival, man. Yeah, I I almost got murdered for for uh, a coat. Whoa, damn. Yeah, that's some crazy shit. Yeah, yeah, we were we were on a bus going to the Staten Island Mall. And we were sitting in the back. I was sitting with my crew. And um, there was these other, you know, kids that get on the on the bus. It was just us. So it was my crew is um this I, I had this these um two kids I used to hang out with. They were really big. Um they weren't Colombian, they were uh damn. Um I don't I remember their their background, but their name was Ralph, uh, Ralph and Albert. Their brother was Dobie, and Dobie was about six five, six six. God damn! And he was, dude. He was only like, 
17, 16, 17. And he was part of the Marinus, uh, Marinus Project Posse. So he was in a really big gang right. in that area. And, um, and you know, we were the young ones, you know, so we wanted to wild out with them. We wanted to be like them, you know, whole, whole heat, you know, carry knives, you know, if we, if it was to get into it, get into it. Um, but yeah, we were on the bus and these dudes sat next to us, these white kids and, um, they were like, yo, you know, how much for that coat? And, you know, back in the day, how much for that coat was, let me get that. Exactly. You know, like, you know, like run you it. The kicks, like run your kicks, you know? Yeah, like run them kicks, you know, what size what are you? What size are you, you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 run them kicks. <laughs> so, you know, for the most part, when they try to, you know, grab my jacket, you know, we all pulled, we all pulled out and they pulled out too. Everybody had knives. So it was <laughs> like, yo, you know, this is what it's going to be. And then um, my my boy um, Ralph, he was like, you know, relax. Like my, you know, our brother is a part of Mariners Posse Projects, you know, Posse. And um, and then we had another friend with us, David. His brother too was a part of that gang as well. His older brother. And um, so they were like, they kind of held off. Right. So they knew you they know. knew what time it was essentially. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah. So, so you, you, you're, you're growing up in Staten, you know what I mean? You got hip hop all around you. Did you have the name quest then or were you something else back then? Nah, man, I was just, I was just Chris. You just you Chris? Know? Yeah, I was just Chris. And, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've been around, like, even when I lived in Brooklyn as a child, um, I always watched the trains getting bombed, you know, watching the graffiti riders just, you know, hem them things up and I rode on them trains. But my first experience for hip hop yeah. was um I have a god brother. Uh he's still around, Lanique, Lanique Evans. And um he lives in Brooklyn. What part? Right, right now. Um I'm not sure where he where in Brooklyn. But was I know he that's, living when that's you where knew he's like when you were roaming ro- with him? He was, he was born in Brooklyn, raised in Staten, too. Okay. And the way I met my god brother was kind of funny, too. Go ahead. Go ahead. Spit. So um, when I moved to Staten, um, this is when I was in the first grade, they sent me to a Catholic school because they kept saying I needed Jesus. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. So they sent me to a Catholic school. And I got kicked out of that Catholic school for cracking a kid in the head with a chair. Whatever. So I got sent to PS22. My first day at PS22, um, I'm in the schoolyard and I'm watching this, you know, light-skinned young man getting jumped by six white kids. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he was getting jumped by six white kids. So I jumped in, man. I saw a fucking, you know, because we went to Kung Fu flicks back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where you learn how to fight, man. Watching the yeah. show Kung Fu flicks at 3 p.m. every Saturday and shit. Yo, every day, <laughs> you know, religiously. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, man. So I started, like, just, I came in swinging, kicking, you know, kicking them. I remember kicking dudes into the fence, <laughs> doing everything I can. And um, And that first day, we both got sent to the principal's office. You know, the school hadn't even started yet. We was already banging out. 
But so we got sent to the principal's office. Both of our parents came to, you know, come get us first day of school. And that's when I first, you know, um, my mom came to get me. And then we were walking in the hallway, leaving the building. And he was with his mom right. and she's yelling at him, you know, my aunt Deborah, and she's yelling at him, you know, you know, like, I don't know what to do with you. You know, like, what are you doing? And he was like, no, mommy, I got jumped. And that boy, that boy saved me. Like he jumped in. He was, he was just hitting everybody, mommy. <laughs> and then sure enough, like both of our moms turned around, they started talking. And after they started talking, you know, they got real close themselves. So then um, when he was during his communion, my mom, you know, became his godmother. So he became my god brother. And then yeah, you know, for the most part, that was he was my ride or die on Staten. Word up! So he introduced you to hip hop, or like he introduced me to hip hop. Yeah, like yeah, in he, no way, like he had like a so connection, he, and he just like, yo, he, check this. Nah, nah. So um, he lived in Trana Place Projects, and that was a, another part of Staten Island. That was like a little bit closer to to where I was living. Right. And um, he had this friend Elliot. And I remember going to, I don't know if it was Elliot's house or somebody else's house, but we were, we were there and the older brothers, they had like, he had this turntable set in the kitchen and he was just spinning and he had like a crate, a milk crate full of records. So he was just going through the records, going through the records and he was doing like his own mix. And then one of his homeboys was on the couch. He was drinking and he gets up and he grabs the mic and he starts rhyming. And I'm just like, yo, what is this? Right. You know, like you hear music, but to see it in your eyes, it's a, a huge difference. So I was just sitting by the milk crate by the records and the and the brother that was, you know, spinning, he was like, yo, hand me this record, hand me that record. I was like, all right. So I, you know, started handing records out. And he's like, and you know, he asked me, you know, what do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? So, you know, I'll show like stuff that I want to hear. And he was just cutting and he was spinning and his boy was just rhyming. Right. So did you know any other stuff that you were handing him or it was more like you saw the album cover? You were like, yo, let me just hear what this sounds like. Yes. I, I didn't know. Right. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know. It, you remember what you he know, threw on? Huh? You remember any of what he threw on? Nah. Me neither, bro. Like my first experience. My sister and I are walking through the Bronx and we walked on this block and there's a bunch of brownstones. So mm -hmm. anybody from the East Coast know what a brownstone is or if they watch mm -hmm. the Cosby show, they know what, the bron what a brownstone is. Yeah, and from yeah. a distance, I see this light skin. I don't know if he was Moreno, if he was Latino, but he had like a blonde Afro. And he was probably <laughs> like me. I had a blonde Afro yeah. back then. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I thought I thought I thought that was one of a kind, but I guess you were running through New York with a blonde Afro. It might have been you. Now I'm only kidding, man. But anyway, like he, this kid is he's he, I see him from a distance. He looked cool as hell, man. And, and and I'm holding my sister's hand. We walk in and she stops to talk to somebody. And then next thing you know, he looks at me. He's got his headphones on. He's bobbing his head. He's got like um these two big speakers and then the turntable sitting on top of the 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 the, the speakers with headphones on. And he asked me, he's like, you, you want to hear it? And I was like, didn't even say anything. I just kind of like nodded my head. Like, I didn't know if I wanted to or not. And he just put it on. And then he started cracking up because I was like copying how he bobbed his head and all that. 
but that mm. was the first time and i knew it was hip-hop because of the boom bap but i didn't know what it was it could have been you know you know like utfo or pig markham or something along those lines but because this was like late 70s you know this is before sugar hill and all that stuff but yeah, 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 yeah. man like i didn't know what what it was but it was dope that's all i knew yeah all right man, yeah, so man. let's get into your name man quest so when when did when did you, this come about the origin of it like why did you pick that name quest the unborn child like what where does the unborn child part come in um well my first nickname ever was given to me, man, maybe about 30, 31 years ago or something like that. Wow. Was uh, Cuba. And that was given to me by uh, my homeboy, JJ, in, in Jersey from Hoboken Project. I still had that piece you did in my, my book. Yeah, have- that, that, when, I, when I do anything, even like I tag up quests every so often, right. often but I tag up more cooler than anything because right. you know I, I honor that name okay because you know, that's, that's your part of your background yeah Being cuban okay yeah yeah so he called me cuba and then eventually um i gave it i gave it a meaning you know cuba uh cuba one and um so that's like kind of you know that was like my first nickname and what does it stand and, for what, what did you uh, so Cuba, Cuba one stands for uh, cipher under bondage, advocate over new evolution. Golly, <laughs> that's just dope. <laughs> okay, 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 keep it going, keep it going. Yeah, so man, I had that for years. Um, I actually I had some, uh, I had another rhyming name because I started writing when I was 10, when I was living in Staten, I was already writing after I heard I had that music experience. Um, I had a lot of voices in my head, so I just started to write. I started to listen to those voices, started to write, but I never took it serious. It was just, you know, something I just did. A hobby. Um, and then, um, you know, when I started, like, rhyming is when um, uh, when I met my my sister's, um, one of her, her, her boyfriends she had. And um, we, we used to call him White Boy Billy. He was from <laughs> he was from Queensbridge. Okay. Um. Yeah. He was the housing projects Queens- out there, or yeah, he was from QB Project. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He was out. Uh, he was um. He ran with like Mob Deep. I know he ran with um Nas's brother. Right. You know he 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 was like a so- a soldier. He was a foot soldier, okay. but he rhymed. Right. You know, and um, he was Irish, Irish dude. And he had done some time, I think, in Rikers and, and things like that. But he he was dope. You know, it was dope. And he was the first experience I had that, you know, we take a we take a tape, put it in the box, hit record, you know, put another tape in for an instrumental and rhyme over that. Right. I actually still have that tape, but I can't play it because I don't have a, a tape deck. Yeah, I got you, my man. That's the that's the way we all used to have to do it, man. We put the but tape. Yeah. Use the headphones as a microphone sometimes, you know. Yep. Freestyle, yep. you know, and go go at it, man. So yeah, so that's why I learned. And it was a it was a um, it was a group home beat. It was a uh, superstar. Yes. Yeah, oh, great song, man. Superstar. That was the first beat I ever rhymed over. You know, freestyle with with Billy. Man, and, you were ten uh, at that time. Around no, I think I think about that time, I was um like maybe. 12 or 13. Wow, bro. 
Yeah, and uh, he called me a little unique. Okay, so that became like another name. That, yeah, that came became a little name, little unique, and then um, and yeah, it was little unique, and we had a crew called SR, strictly representing, and um, it was uh, I, we had a we had a saying too. It was like um. Cause he he got from the cradle to the grave. He got it from you know from Mob Deep. Right. Cause that was that was something they said in Queens. You know in that area from the cradle from the cradle to the grave. So then um, but I forgot he we had like some saying um to to chill for each other and we kill for each other. That's dope. It, yeah, it's it was something of, like that. Scary, but it's dope. You know what I mean? Because yeah, that's yeah. the mentality you had to have back in those days, man. You you yeah. You leave your apartment or whatever. You don't even know if you're going back. Yeah, that was that was every day. Yeah, I but feel yeah, that. man. That was that was the that was my probably my first ramen name was Little Unique, and then um, and then did you cut any demos or anything? Nah, we were so actually I had gotten a phone call. Um, that he was in the studio doing a demo with with uh, Havoc. So, so does finally... he have any material? Nah, I dude, I wish, I wish he has no material, and he was dope, man. Like you know, he he was gutter. Right. You know, he was straight. Like he lived them. Like you have a lot of people, you know, living trying to live that life now, <laughs> but. You can't live that life now. Right. You, I got you, you had to live that life then. Right. And he lived that life. Like, you know, he slept on the street. You, he never went home for the most part. When he did, it was to sleep. And there was times that he fall asleep in my house and I just leave him be. And, you know, he had spent so many times in jail, he slept with his eyes open. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So I'll be going to school, getting ready. And I'm like, yo, Bill, I'm leaving. And you think he awake? Nah, he's sleeping. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. And you don't fuck with somebody like that. No, no. If you scare them by mistake, you're getting fucked up. I mean, I, I've done it to him. Because, yeah. you know, I was like his I was like his little brother. Right. So yeah, you can get away with it, but nobody yeah, else. Yeah, I could get I could get away with it, but I seen what he's done to other dudes. So yeah, nah. You know, but now nah, he was nasty, man. And um, so we would just kick, we would just kick ciphers all the time. Like, and every time I mess up, he had this thing where he punched me in my chest. Cause he was like, yo, don't mess up. Right. So training, he was training. He was training me. He was training me. Yeah. But yeah, we had, I got in a phone call once that he was in the studio with Havoc. And then this, um, they never, never came to get me because something had happened. Right. Um, so we were supposed to do something and something went down in Jersey City. I really can't say what happened, but um, something went down and uh, he he got uh, someone pulled up. Um, his name was King Brick and uh, King Brick, may he rest in peace because I know he um, someone took him out. Right. And um, but King Brick pulled up in a Lex Coop, snatched up Billy after what happened, and he left about twelve of us out there in the scene. 
So then we were all deep in Jersey City, not in our area, because it was territory time. Right. And we had we had a flea. So cops were coming, and then we had other people around okay. us, right. like, you know, enemies. Right. I got you. Around us. So we had a dip. So um, I ran through I ran through a Jersey City park to get into Hoboken, because Hoboken for me, not for Jersey City, but Hoboken for me, I was good, you know. Because Jersey City heads couldn't walk in Hoboken. Oh, because they so was, was a ter- territory territorial thing there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, we have fa- we probably had like cousins and family and friends that probably lived there, but Hoboken heads weren't allowed there. Jersey City heads weren't allowed in Hoboken. Same thing for Union City heads. Like it was territory ever everywhere. So if you weren't good, right, with the main heads in certain areas, you were gonna get jumped. So it's kind of like warriors. Yeah, pretty much. That's the life that we led. Right. Like so after, after what happened, um, I we had a head tail. So everybody went their separate way. And then um, so I went, I ran through this park that I knew in that area that there was a um a fence. And that fence had a hole in it, so you can cut through this um this like these this grass area called white wall and um so i was able to slide down white wall and run into hoboken projects and you and then from there and then from there i'm good because then i'll go home eventually i know people in that area so i'll just you know i'll just walk through the hoboken projects chill and then walk up to the ave or just you know head back I got you, my man. So you get your introduction to hip hop. You got this dude that you're running with that's testing you, training you. You know what I mean? When did you start taking this serious? And you decided, okay, I'm, I, I, I might, I think I'm, I can make a career out of this, or I could make, well, you know. Um, I think it was ninety ninety six. I uh, I had thrown a house party. And is that and, the one where you have those pictures? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I seen those pictures. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let let me let me first shout out um Go ahead. Alex, Alex Vidal. He was one of the DJs. That's right. my man to this day. Um A Tone from Ready to Rock. That's the that that's a crew outside of Rock Steady crew. He was uh another influence on me and he was a DJ that night. And um they were like, "Yo, grab the mic." So, Billy grabbed the mic and then I grabbed the mic. And, um, I, you know, I, I didn't spit a lot. You know, I tried to do it like a 16. It was probably maybe like 10 bars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was nervous. Right. You right. know, it was like all these chicks all these- that we liked and, you know, all these dudes that were there, you know, that we, you know, we ran on the street with. So it's like, I can't be corny. Right. You know, you got to come correct, man. Don't come correct. Yeah, you do. Because there was Kings there, there was Nietas there, there was Zulus there. Wow. It was a bunch of dudes, yeah. So, you know, so we did our thing. You know, I think we did good. And then we just handed it off to some Zulus that, you know, they, like, were spitters, like, real. Like, they were doing their thing. So it was dope. But, yeah, man, that, that party was dope. That was the first time I grabbed the mic. But to answer your question, um, I didn't take it serious until uh, probably, like, late 99 when I got sent to my, uh, to live in Miami. Okay. Cause my mom, yeah, my mom, my mom sent me on a one, uh, one way ticket. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, hold up, my bad. No, no, go ahead, brother. I got this dry cough, man. It won't leave hey, me the hell alone. You see me every once in a while, bro. Blah, blah, blah. It's all right. It's all good. <clears throat> so, yeah, my mom uh, sent me on a one-way ticket from Jersey to uh, to Miami. Right. And that's when I got my intro- my introduction to, uh, um, like, computers, internet. Because, yo, my entire time up, you know, you know, living in, in Jersey and New York, I never touched a computer. Right. Well, the thing you is, like, like, computers were were out, obviously, since the 80s. Yo, yeah, I had a friend, you know, that had a computer. And uh, he, this is, like, the first time I think AOL was around, yes. I think, or started. And he was in these chat rooms. But I, I, I was... I've been an outside kid since birth, man. Right. Like you weren't even trying to mess with that. Yeah, like you know, I've seen movies and and stuff like that, but I was never a home kid. Like I was like my entire life That's I was spent out, outside. Yeah. So, but once I got to Miami, so no disrespect to the three hundred five. I love y'all, and um, but I didn't think they had a culture, right? A hip hop culture. I didn't know, you know what I'm saying? So, and um, because I had cousins out there and they would listen to like, I don't know, like bass, you yeah. know? That's what that's what Miami's known for, bass and, you know, bass. Uncle Luke and, yep, yep, yep. and things like that, you know? Because I had a cousin, he was a, a disciple, uh, my cousin Louie. So, you know, Louie was real cool. And he, you know, I used, because I used to, I had my shoebox, Full of tapes, I could I could bust that out for you right. later, <laughs> but um, cause I got stories about those too. Right, right. But anyway, um, so I showed Louie like the type of music he liked, and he was like, "Yo, there's a there's a a culture like you out here." He was like, "You just have to find it," and I was right. like, "He was like, I don't really know heads like that, cause you know he was in them streets, but you know he didn't really like know hip hop heads like that." Well, like I was probably the only hip hop head he knew from New York, you right. know, that like listened to like Grave Diggers and Woo and and Nas and Kooji Rap and you know things like that. Well, when you think of the culture, right? Like most of hip hop obviously coming out of New York because that's where hip hop was created. The culture itself was created, and then Cali, and then maybe you're thinking Philly, Chicago, but you're not thinking right. Miami, you know, you know, you're yeah. not. Thinking- Miami of all those places you're thinking Miami is a place where you know you got women and you got right and I think they listen to a lot of west coast too at that time like they listen to like pop they were listening to a lot of pop probably um a lot of snoop at that time probably I think that was the the majority of hip-hop they were probably listening to and it's funny because I wasn't feeling the west coast back then I, I think I was in that in that mind state where it was like yo New York always like fuck, you. you know fuck anybody else yeah. you know we came with that real shit we the first to do it right exactly the originators you know no disrespect to you know to them heads man like I I I love the Chronic you know I love Doggy Style like those two albums to me fucking epic yes you know those are dope ass fucking albums but um but I wasn't feeling the West Coast like that not you know not yet you know I I wasn't like. I know Outkast was already out, and they're from Atlanta. I wasn't listening to them, you what know. So I didn't get in, I didn't get introduced to any of that until I hit Miami. 
Okay. So you were introduced by people that. Yeah. So, yeah. So I ended up, um, my grandparents had got me a laptop. So that was like my first laptop. They gave me the CD. Remember the CD, the AOL CDs? Yeah, you, you, if, if you order, not order, but you can get like a bunch of them to get free AOL. Yeah, you can, man, you get them things in supermarkets. Yeah, back you in the day. get a stack of them and then you never have to pay for internet. Yeah, exactly. So I, they gave me the CD. They're like, oh, you know, the internet. And I was like, oh, what the fuck any of that shit is. So I, I plug it in and um, I start, I don't know, start fucking with it by myself and end up in a chat room because I'm not going outside at this point. I don't know nobody. You remember what and, chat room? Huh? You remember what chat room? Because, I mean, there's notorious. Man, there was like. I, I, chat rooms out there. There's some notorious ones out there, you know? Nah, I, I don't remember because all I all I remember was like, you people would put like male, you know, age range and you know where they were from or some you right. know dumb shit like that. So I just you know I would just write dumb shit like, <laughs> yo, is there any hip hop in Miami? Because I was like in a Miami uh, chat room, something like that, like something about Miami. And this one dude I remember hit me. Uh, he was like, oh, my name is Minus. And I was like, okay. And he was like, I'm an MC and I live in Miami. And he was like, yeah, there's a culture here. And I was like, oh yeah, prove it. <laughs> and he was like, all right. He was like, um, can you meet me? Can you meet me at this um this spot in Miami? Well, yeah, it was Miami Lakes then. Miami Gardens. But there was a movie theater that we all used to go to, like, you know, as as time progressed, I lived a, a pretty so, long life in dude, Miami. Did you live actually in Miami? Because I and the reason why I'm saying this is because there's people that live like outside of Miami and they consider that Miami and they say I live in Miami. Like, were you actually in Miami? Yo, I lived right around the corner for fucking trick daddy, nigga. Oh, there you go. That's <laughs> it, it, my answer. There's my answer right there. <laughs> Yo, nah, Miami. So Miami, like, you have, and you're right. You are right. You know, you have people who say they live in Miami and they're not living in the like the actual Miami areas. Right. Um, so you have uh you have Miami Lakes, you know, Miami Gardens, Carroll City, Hialeah, uh, Hialeah, you know, that's that's you know, shout out to Voider One who lives in Hialeah. That's my brother. We'll get into Voider, we'll get into Void. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Hedger One, he lived in Hialeah. Originally, he's from Jersey. And um, and my younger brother, Eddie, he's from Hialeah, you know. So uh, we had friends in Little Havana. Uh, shit, my wife is from Kendall, and there's a lot, there's super amount of crazy MCs from fucking Kendall. Uh, Serum is from Kendall. Uh, uh, Sol- you know, uh, Solomon, rest in peace. But Cyril, he was from Kendall. Right? Cyril moved to Tampa, I believe, or he's somewhere else. I don't think he's back. I don't think he's in Miami anymore. No, he's in Miami. He's in um yeah, I think he's I think he lives in um either I think he might be still in Kendall or, or maybe like Pembroke around that around that area. But I know he's still around there because he's you know he does shows, a lot of shows over there. He and he goes bombing and stuff like that. Oh man, Cyril is ill. <laughs> 
Yeah, Serum is yeah, that's that's the homie. And then um H2 Owens, he's from Kendall, um, from WVCC's uh Scythe Life. That's another homie. And he's from Kendall. But I, I just met him like maybe a couple of months ago. But he's a cool dude. Um, but yeah, man, so I lived in in pretty much in, in the middle area of like of Miami, you know. Cause Miami Lakes was pretty much highly. It was like the nice version of of Hylia. Right. You know. So this so this minus dude hits you up and he says, Meet me where? Yeah, so we meet we meet at this movie theater. I can't remember the you remember the, the name of that spot? Yeah. In Miami Lakes where the movie theater was. Sorry, I gotta ask my wife. Oh, right. For, for anybody watches this, he's not talking to himself not right now. I know he talks to himself. <laughs> Other times, like I talked most, to Yeah, most, de- <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. Well, I, I don't know, man. Anyway, but, to, anyway to keep, keep it going. going. So I meet, um, so I, I met this kid, uh, minus, uh, in the parking lot. So, you know, I walk over to him and, um, and we start talking. Does he look like and, a hip hop head? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, minus was a, a super yo, fifteen years old man, and how old were you when you met him? Uh, twenty twenty one. Okay, so he's like a young kid. Yeah, he was young kid, but he was like he was rhyming how Aesop Rock was rhyming Word. before, oh. before like before anyone you really right right. Before anyone knew of Aesop Rock, that's that's you know minus that's how minus was rhyming. He was super intricate with his rhymes, man, like really crazy. And I'm like, yo, this kid is 15 years old. Like this shit is wild. So he eventually brought me around, um, like Eddie in Hialeah, and um, who is my younger brother now, you know, for over 20 years but um so eddie is the one that introduced started introducing me to heads that were like like me like that's how i met void of one right that's how i met hedger you know i started meeting different people and and then we and then at the time they had a friend named drac and um drac was like he was like a fake MF Doom. And I say <laughs> I say fake because he's a punk ass bitch. But anyway. Okay, okay, I got you. <laughs> anyway. They, 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 they do exist. Punk ass bitches do exist. Trust me. They, you know. do. they do. Yeah. Sorry if anybody catch offense. I'm not sorry. Fuck that. Right. It, it happens. <laughs> so yeah, so I meet start meeting all these dudes, man. And um but when I, I started getting more serious about it, when I met um, this other dude, his name was Pookie. And <laughs> little little Spanish dude, man, but he could make beats, oh, make dope-ass beats. Right. Yeah. And he, yo, I met this real eclectic group of hip-hop heads, man. This is when I started to, like, understand, like, weird hip-hop. So... I'm, he takes me to um, he takes me to this area in Coconut Grove, where um, this kid was living, 
And he was like, yo, we're going to go visit this kid. His name is Ishii. I was like, okay. Ishii ends up being this big, tall-ass white boy from Texas. His name was Austin. <laughs> but so I, we get to this apartment, and everyone is wearing animal heads. What? Horse head. Yeah, horse head, donkey head. Like, weird, yo. I'm some weird shit, right? So I look at Pookie, I'm like, my man, like, what? Well, what is this? <laughs> and he was like, these are, you know, these are my friends. And I'm like, I, right, I guess, whatever. But, you know, eventually they they took they take off the heads, and that's kind of an ill introduction, bro. If you think yeah, about it, though, that's kind of like an well, According to them, it was a test to see if I walk the fuck out. <laughs> that's pretty ill, bro. I'm not even gonna but lie, bro. They don't they don't know who I, they don't know who right. I am and, and what I've been around, like, you know, y'all a bunch of heads with, you know, with mask on. <laughs> That's fucking ill, bro. I, I've been in a room with dudes with knives and guns pointed at them, so, <laughs> you know, it, it's a switch up, cool, whatever, you know, and, um, but yeah, they, they took off, they took off their mask, man, and, um, but everybody was cool, and they were all MCs. So Ishi um Austin, aka Ishi Eye to Eye, I wish I still had that CD. That CD, and I can't find it on the internet. I can't find it um anywhere. Do you still have contact with him? No, I lost contact with him. Uh, because eventually we there wasn't a falling out with everybody, but he just kind of like moved. He was a chef, like a real deal chef, like. He cooked and shit. So, but I think his dream was to go back to Texas and um, I think work for a restaurant so he could eventually open up his own restaurant. But music at the time was, you know, he loved music. And um, so he, uh, it was just, it wasn't just him. It was Ishii Eye to Eye. That was what he called himself. Pookie. Pookie didn't rhyme. He was just there like a producer. And, um, they had two other guys, Carlos and Peter. Carlos was this little Cuban dude, but he could rhyme real dope. And Peter was like on that Aesop Rock type style. Now, mind you, I'm not with Minus. I'm not with Boyda. I'm not with any of these, you know, the other people I've met. I'm by myself now. Right. You know, meeting these people. And, um, and yo, it was crazy because all we just we just drank all night and just had ciphers. And then eventually through them, I met this dude named Neo, Neo Z. You told me about this dude. Talk about him, please. <laughs> I think Void could probably get more into it, but uh I met Neo, Neo Z. He lived in uh, Martin Luther King in Miami. That's hood, that's that's hood bound for real. Really? Like I, thought, I thought every place called Martin Luther King Boulevard or whatever is, is a great place to live, man. <laughs> Yo, it is. It is. You know? <laughs> so, he took me, um, they took me over there and, yo, like, we just connected, man. Like, and his, he was on that, like, anti-pop for before I even knew what the fuck anti-pop was. And he tested you. That dude tested you. Like how? So. Like knowledge-wise or just like skills-wise? 
skill-wise, knowledge, and he see he would want to see how fucked up you are. Like, <laughs> like are you, how you would go? Yeah, like, are your rhymes real? When you rhyme, are your rhymes real? I gotcha. You know, like, none of that fake, you know, none of that fake Fuck shit. shit. Yeah. So, yo, he used to put us in front of, uh, we used to drink, like, 40s, like, with him. Not 40s, but, like. What, 32 like ounces? <laughs> yeah, 32 ounces, or we just drink beers, right. you know. And um, he would put on, uh, damn, turn what's that? Uh, oh, Tetsuo. You know Tetsuo? Yeah. The movies? Yeah, that's an ill movie, man. Yo, so he would put Tetsuo on, and he'd get you, like, drunk. And he'd make you sit there and watch the whole fucking thing. To see if like you can handle the perception of the movie. Right. It's a bugged out movie, man. Yeah. So we would just sit there and he'll play music in the background. We'll, you know, beats that he made while we were watching that. And there were not a lot of nights like that, but I know Voida got better stories. I, I've heard some crazy stories from them. But because um eventually I, I, I introduced Voida to him too. But Yo, and then after that, we would just rhyme, you know, like, and we would just kind of include, like, Tetsuo, you know, the shit that we saw. And, yeah, we, we became really good friends after that, man, because he was like, damn, you could, you could hold your own. <laughs> and, you know, I could tell that the movie, like, really influenced what you were saying at that moment in time. So, you know, he he do things like that, man. He was really, like, super odd dude, but super talented, man. Like, I wish I still had connection to him. I've tried to find him. Right. I, I know his real name, and I've tried to look him up, but my man is, like, he's always lived off the grid. Oh, okay, so he's one of them dudes, man. Yeah, yeah. He finds you, you don't find him kind of de- deals, right? Probably. No, it was kind of like that. And it's funny that his name was Neo. Yeah. You know, that that was his, you know, that was his nickname, Neil, but it's a part of um his first name. So, but yeah, man, super talented dude. Like, he taught himself to play the piano. He taught himself to play the guitar. Like, he was self-taught. And he's, he's the one that told uh, taught Void how to fuck with the Korg and shit like that. So I, re- I, rem- I remember those sessions. Speaking of Void, right? So here you are, you're you're new to Miami. You're starting to meet these people that kind of have a lot of the similarities into the things that you're into, hobbies, whatever. You know, probably movies and whatnot. And so how did you meet Void? And then how did you get into it with Void where you and him started collaborating together? Well, um, like I said before, I met Void through, through Eddie. And who Eddie is Void? Like, explain who Void is to, to anybody who's going to watch this. So, Void of One, he's an MC producer, and he's my other half of Abstract Distortion. Um, and that's my brother right there to the day I die. And so, through Eddie, my younger, our younger brother, he knew that Void made beats and, you know, and he, you know, he wrote rhymes and stuff like that. And... He was like, yo, I really need to introduce you to, to this kid, Void. So, you know, he brings me over to, to meet him. And, you know, 
I show you know I show him uh, some of my rhymes and he he really dug you know my sound and I well I don't know if I still have it but I had this the first CD he ever made right now your style has it because I know your style when I met you it's pretty much the same now was it different back then because I know like your style to me is very aggressive. It's mm-hmm. almost like you can be in a in a in a metal band, bro, because like the the ferocity of your your delivery and then your lyrics. It was it the same or did it nah, alter? It was kind of it was it was um it was always there. You know how you know how like RZA was in yeah. the beginning. Yes, he was like really abstract with his stuff. Yes. Okay, so like I was almost over your head, kind of abstract. Yeah. So. I was already on that level, you know, so it, hearing people later on rhyme that way kind of made me feel better about myself because <laughs> I, already, I already knew about company flow. So when I first heard company flow, like stuff like that, I didn't feel so bad anymore about my like my rhymes. Because you knew people but, like that existed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, but I was more poetic, I think, at that time. So... You know, but he he dug it like he, he he liked my poetry, and he was like, so he showed me beats that he did, um, on Fruity Loops, like, so and that was pretty dope, and a lot of his beats were like, um, like they were abstract. My bad, man. This is oh, coffee. No, it's all right, dude. Don't apologize. <laughs> Don't apologize. This is real, real life, man. You know. Shit, so, if you're yeah. crap while we're doing this, take a crap, man. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't got to smell it. You know what I mean? Fuck <laughs> it, right? Nah, so, um, yeah, so, nah, he would show me his beats, man, and eventually, you know, we started doing something like myself, him, Drag, um, Minus, and then we brought in a girl that was stupid. But we brought in a girl that we had met uh, through Minus, and we created a crew called um, Divine Aspects. So it was uh, myself, Drac, Void, who was, but he didn't, at that time, he didn't write. Like, he was writing, but he never got on any of the tracks. It was just his production. So it was me, Minus, um this girl biologics that we met through minus and drag and it was all right man it was you know wasn't all that nothing i would ever nothing i would ever want to hear ever again in my life (laughs) why i mean okay so you got this group it's probably i'm thinking maybe because you got all these different styles and maybe they didn't match together yeah it is pretty much um nothing matched together Okay. You know, as a group, like it just it just didn't work out. We I mean, eventually we all separated. It was a big, a real big fucking argument. And um but I stayed with I stayed being friends with Minus because I was his mentor at the time. At least that's what he considered me right. as as a mentor because he was going through a lot in his life, but I kept making sure that he never stopped. So even though Divine Aspects had broken up, he wanted to get into battling. Right. You know, and so getting into battling 
Well, through minus, that's how I met Parable. That's how I met So What, you know, uh, their crew. Yeah, that, that's a dope group, man. Well, yeah, they were. They, they don't, they're not around anymore, but, I mean, yeah, they're, they're awesome. I met um, Sammy. Was yeah. Parable. Yeah, he's Parable. A very nice, good, very nice dude, very humble. Yeah, he was he was a good kid, yo, but he was a beast on them battles. Yeah, he can. <laughs> he was a beast, yeah, and yeah. that's how I met Jin. That's how I met Jin and and all of them. So, you know, I, I met a lot of heads, but eventually, divine aspects when we uh, broke up because the sound like um what probably really broke us up was by logic. So, I guess Drac was on the boards like internet but right. he was talking to Komodo's heads okay because he was like talking to like kiki and them and by logic told her told him he was better than us and he flew out there without telling nobody oh on the dl on the dl but see he didn't know that void had a rapport with them already like they love void shit right you know, because he was kind of like another KO Flux, you know, in that way. So he had a really big rapport with Kiki and all of them. And, you know, he went out there and tried to do shit behind our back, talking shit. Eventually, we got a call from Kiki and all them dudes. And they were like, yo, what do you want us to do with um with this project that he he's trying to drop behind y'all back? Because we didn't know. That he was out there. Right. So <laughs> I was like, yo, you do what you want to do with that project. You know, it's, it, it is what it is. They deleted that shit. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure if he would have talked to you guys and been honest and say, hey, I want to do something with these dudes, you probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have cared. You know, you would have been nah, like, I don't know, man. You know, like we, I stayed on Minus's side when he was battling because he didn't want to do. He didn't want to do anything with us anymore. And right. plus, you know, as a group, we weren't we weren't good as a group, you know. So, but we stayed on his side. Like, you know, we went to all his battles. You know, we traveled around Miami, you know, to all the battles and stuff like that because of him. Right. So, and then we, I just be outside kicking ciphers with different MCs. So that's how I I started to meet people, and and things like that. But um, and then. I did my first show in um, Little Haiti at uh, Churchill's in Little Haiti. Right. Uh, and there's been a lot of phenomenal heads to touch that stage. So you did it solo? You did it with like with, with a group or? I actually did it with Minus. Okay. We did, um, we did a track called The Superhuman Riddler. Do you have that and track? I think Void has it. Okay, I need Void needs to send that to me. <laughs> I think he has it. It was just a uh, a really obscure beat, right? And that was the first time I wrote like a. I think it was over thirty two bars. Damn, that was that was my whole verse. So, you, that was just your verse. Yeah, <laughs> man, that must have been a long fucking performance, man. Well, yo, I was so nervous that day, man. And I remember sitting at the front uh, at this table at Churchill's and staring at the stage 
and Peter sat down. Peter was so nasty. And um, Peter sat down. He was like, what's wrong? I was like, y'all fucking nervous. <laughs> I've never I've never touched the stage, like, you know, in front of all these people. And so what was performing that night? Oh, were the, so you were like, you were like opening for them in a way? No. <laughs> Man, my bad. It's all right, bro. I think what it is is probably, you know, how like in shows you have like, you know, your your artists performing, but then sometimes they'll let people from the crowd get up on the mic and do something. So was that the case? Yeah, it was kind of like that, you know, like there were a few heads, you know, for be, like a before show. And then um, and then you had like the main heads. But I think it was so what to perform. They because when they did a set, they were like like a band kind of, you know. Kind of like the roots. Yeah. Kind of like the roots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and that shit was dope as fuck. I remember that shit being really dope. But Peter was like, yo, once you get on that stage, trust me, it'll turn on. It might be off right now. He was like, just go outside, take a walk. You'll be all right. So just kind of went outside and just, you know, took a deep breath and I was good, but once I touched the stage, he's right. It it turned on, you know. And um, Neil was on the boards, and uh, he was the one playing the beat. So it was minus first. He did like a sixteen, right? But my part, my shit was like thirty-two. Yeah, you do like what? Doubled him? Tripled him? <laughs> he tripled him bars wise? Yeah. And but it was. It was crazy because the track was just me rhyming um, after him. And because um, I initially wrote that just for myself as one verse, 32 bars, no stopping, no taking breath. I could do that back then. I'll probably die now. But whatever, man, you can do it again, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. do it again man just lose the cough and you can do it again man <laughs> yeah for real but um but yeah man so it was dope it was it was real dope because uh void didn't go to that show he actually came to orlando i think it was for that um he was graduating so they did that this this thing that they do in florida they go to disney right or like or no, they called it Pleasure Island at that time. Yeah. But at this time, while you're performing with Minus, you're mm -hmm. not with Floyd, though. No. Okay. We're, we know, we're friends, you know. Right. But we're, we're all broken up at this point. So, um, but I was with Neo and, and Peter and Carlos and Ishii and, um, and Minus. And then some other heads were out there that, that we knew. And after the show, after everything, I was outside and Parable came up to me and his crew and he's like, yo, can you spit that shit again for me? Oh, Parable? So like, yeah. He was wow. like, yo, spit that. He was like, I didn't hear all that. But he goes, because he was like, yo, he was like, I never seen nobody, you know, spit some shit like that before. So I, I spit my verse again, you know, slower. And they were like, yo, that shit is dope. That shit was fucking really dope. I don't remember any, and I, I hate the fact that I can't find that verse anywhere. I haven't been able to find that verse anywhere, and and I can't find that track. I think Voida has it, though. Yeah, Void probably has, like, a stockpile of, like, 
your earlier stuff, like real ill stuff. So um, I'm pretty sure he does. So so okay, so you're not with Void at that time. So when do you get with Void? When do you guys sit down and mastermind and and come up with the with the the group abstract distortion? Or were you originally called abstract distortion or something else? Nah, so it was divine aspects. Okay. And um Void was part of divine aspects. Yeah, he was the producer. Okay, okay. He produced all the beats and and the tracks, and um. But like I said, we had we all had a falling out, and after we had a falling out, we um, it was like a two week separation, right? Like we didn't talk at all, you know. Like we we already stopped talking to Drac completely. Um, Minus was doing his own thing, but you know that was my homeboy. Right. And um and then the girl, no one gave a fuck, go somewhere with yourself. And then um so she was like trouble. Yeah, man. She caught she she fucking she was the, the monkey wrench, man. She was the one that fucked everything up. That sucks. You know? But whatever, man, you know, it, it it worked out for the benefit that within that two weeks, I'm in my room. And I just jump up and I call Void. I ain't call nobody else. I call Void and I'm like, yo, I got this idea. And he's like, all right, what? Because he wasn't really in a good mood, you know, like after what happened with Aspect, you know, Divine Aspects, whatever. Kind of like, you know, hit a, a bad nerve. Right, right. I was like, so I call him, I jump up, I call Void and I'm like, yo. I got this idea, just a two-man group. And he's like, okay, who's the two people? And I was like, you and me. And he was like, all right. <laughs> and he was like, so what? And I was like, yo, I want to call it um, Abstract Distortion. Damn. And he's like, okay, I, I could hear that shit. <clears throat> and he's like, so what kind of like, you know, what kind of Steve? And I had snapped at that point. So I had rhymed something for him. And he was like, yo, come over. Oh, man. So, yeah, you definitely, you dangled that fish and he took that that that, that bait, man. Yeah, yeah. That's ill, yeah. You know, so, um, man. So one of, the, one of the things that we did, we started doing as a group, because he knew people is how I met through uh, PFM. And we did this track called Counterclockwise. And um, yeah, and we just started rocking with them and shit like that. But the tracks we were doing were, you know, were dark, were dark ass tracks. We never performed for any for anybody. Right. So when, um, so when you went, so when you formed with, with Void, you became part of Hover Rock. And Hover Rock was very similar to other, like, let's say, groups where you have little groups and solo artists that combine together, make mm-hmm. tracks together, and then they separate, and then they do their own separate things. Similar, was it similar to that? Yes. Yeah, it was It was similar to that because, um, so, and I, I was also street team for Broken Clutch um, from, from Boston. Right. So... Uh, through him, which is funny because he's in Boston and I'm in Miami, right. he met a, a group of dudes who 
uh, he met that were from um, Boca Raton. And these dudes, uh, you know them as uh, Iron Aura. Yes. And, uh, and Orion Pax from Astria Corp. Yeah, dope, man. Dope. Dope artist, man. Yep. So, <clears throat> so through doing street team shit for, for Clutch, um, they reached out to him because they wanted this album that he that he had. I think I gave you a copy of that EP. Is that Barbara uh, Stencils? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I was street team for that. And I no, was no. um Pax and Aura weren't part of Hover Rock originally. They were bought separate and it's broken clutch that kind of connect made made that connection for you guys. No, no. So <coughs> sorry. No, don't no worries, man. So I was running CDs right. through blue through Blue Notes in um, North Miami. Um, I was running uh, Bob Wire stencils through Blue Note Records um, shop in North Miami. That's a famous shop, and um, Uncle Sam's in Miami. So I was running CDs, but they wanted a, a copy. So he asked me, you know, if they can get a a, a copy of the CD. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, uh, just let me know. So eventually they come down, you know, and Void and I meet them at my apartment, you know, Aura and, and, um, and yo, the most craziest thing, I don't know if I still have that picture, but anyway, we are. Yeah, you have the picture because you showed it to me. And I think it was in the crowd of a concert. Yeah. You so, yeah, so Voida and I were uh, at an Aesop Rock concert. And I we were front row and we took a picture. And I show him the picture and I'm like, yo, that's them. <laughs> and <laughs> it was like real creepy. So I was like, yo, y'all want to see something? And they were like, what? So I was like, you know, show them the picture. And they're like, okay, what are we looking at? I said, look at the right side of the corner. And it was them. They were like, yo, what the fuck? And we didn't know each other then. We did not know each other. That's crazy, man. They were right there in front of your They face. were right there. Yup. Yup. So, yeah, we started, we started, uh, you want to hear something about, you want to hear something uh, crazy? You want to hear something? Mm. This is not, has nothing to do with like, Hip hop or rap or anything, right? But you ever hear of the Menendez brothers? Uh huh. You know they're the ones that kill their parents. So they can, yeah, of course. So look this up, and this is true. There's a basketball card of a player who used to play for the Knicks called Mark Jackson. Uh huh. And they, they so on this basketball card, it's they, they, one of the photographers at the game took a picture while he was in action doing something like dribbling. Mm-hmm. In the background in the crowd, you could see the Menendez brothers, and this was days after they killed their parents. Oh shit, that's wild. Yeah, <clears throat> that's fucking. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, the card is worth money, not because of the player, but because the Menendez brothers are in the background, bro. Yeah, that's crazy. Parents, it's crazy. But ahead, I'm sorry, man. I had to go off topic with that shit, man. <laughs> nah, it's all good. Man. In the crowd, you don't know who they are. And then later on, you're 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 bonding yeah. with, them and you so find I, like, oh, I have this picture of them. Yeah. So I, you know, we were there. They were mind blown. They were like, "Yo, 
this is crazy, you know. So it kind of, yeah, it was kind of like it was like that, you know. And um, so we started rocking with them, and that's how we did uh, Morbid Orphans and things like that. And uh, eventually, I introduced them to uh, to PFM. So Morbid Orphans <laughs> is just you, Void, and them. Yeah. And you yeah. still you still have this material, or? <laughs> um. Yeah, hold on. Let me see. I have the track. Uh, let me see. Play, play like a minute of it, if you don't mind. Right. No, I don't mind. What, what's the name of the track? Uh, Morbid Orphans. Oh, okay. So it's a self-titled track. All right. Yeah. Let me see. And all four of you are rhyming on it? Yes, all of us. It was um I'm up first, then Aura, uh, then my brother, Voida, and then Orion Pax ends it. But it's um Orion Pax's beat. Okay, and then so did did you guys ever create any EPs full lengths or just just we were supposed to, but it never so this is the only happened. one track that you've done with them? Yeah. Okay, wow. Can you hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mind. This is void of. Right on deck and give your permanent pain in line. You bring insanity and 
So that's what you were working with, huh? Yeah. Okay, so you, you formed this mor- morbid orphans. What's next, man? What's what's the next what's the next step? Man, so um at this point, we you know we're doing morbid orphans. Uh I introduced them to PFM, and um, you know, we were supposed to man, we were supposed to take off. You know, this was supposed to be it for for all of us. You know, um, there were some other people that were uh, invited into it, like um, uh, this one DJ producer, uh, Lumen, Lumen the Inhuman. Yes. Um, that's PFM's really good friend, uh, Kems. I, I didn't meet, really ever met Kems during that time. Uh, I knew of him, never met him. But Ken um, came in after the unfortunate split. Right. Okay. Right. So, <clears throat> oh man. Um, and you don't so have to get it. You don't have to get into like why the split happened. I mean, we you just know that you were part of something that you thought was going to blow up to next level. Yeah. Yeah. Because which weren't weren't what you thought they were, and and then yeah. ultimately you had to go in a different direction. Yeah, but if you want to get into it, you can. I mean, it's but you don't have to. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, that that was pretty much it. So, you know, working with them and and introducing them to um, thank you. <coughs> um, introducing them to uh, to PFM. You know, it, it took it took a good toll, man, because they made dope music too. Like they have this one track. Um, that they did with PFM called uh, The Devil's Got AOL. That's a fucking dope-ass track. Um, they were uh, on another track, all of us, called uh, Android uh, Joe Namath. <laughs> you know, that was uh, myself, Aura, 
uh, TSC from um, Distorted Megabytes. He's from Boston, uh, Orion Pax, and then PFM did the hook. I think he did the beat too for that, right. for that track. But yeah, man. So, so for the most part, man, it was just me and Void just doing tracks together, you know, a lot of stuff. And um, we were supposed to put out an album, but, you know, we never did. Right. So, but, um, but yeah, man. So eventually, I mean, there, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff. I'm probably missing a lot of stuff, but. Well, then, I mean, because uh, the, the part is uh, Jess is kind of, to me, like the link. So how does Jess get into, into Hover Rock and then obviously the split happens and then you, Jess, and Void and whoever else go off and create Paramount. Yo, well, like you said, you know, we were subgroups of subgroups of subgroups that were like just making music, man, just dope MCs, just, you know, eventually collaborating, you know, on and off with each other. But Jess's vision and, and I guess PFM's vision at the time was to, to gather all these heads, you know, Boston, you know, Comodose, like, because Comodose is like, they're from different groups too. Right. You had Distorted Megabytes, Lost Channel, um, you know, heads like that. And um, and I'm, I'm probably um, like Sean missing Plex, a few. Sean Plex's group. I forgot what they're called. Uh... I don't think they were Lost Channel. Uh, or he might have been part of Lost Channel. But Sean, sh- shout out to Sean Plex. Sean Plex. Sean Plex, man, that's my dude. He's that's dope. my dude. He he's fucking nasty. Yeah. I once I get equipment, look, I'm gonna say it on video. I know this will probably go up on YouTube, but I own. I I don't own. I I owe Sean Plex a song. <laughs> like me and me and Sean Plex are supposed to do something on a void of beat. So when I get equipment, it will happen. I'm, I'm you know. Can't wait. I promise. Can't wait. I promise. <laughs> I promise. But yeah, man. Um, so their their, you know, their goal in mind was to just, you know, get all these these minds together and um and and take over the world type shit, you know, but it just it just didn't happen. And it's crazy because you know, you like the internet, <laughs> it, it's really important because the internet connects a lot of people. Because here you mm-hmm. are, you know, you're from Miami and these dudes are from Boston. And if there's no internet, you're thinking I'm the, or your group or your crew are thinking we're the only dudes that think like this. But you're finding out that there's dudes in Boston that think this way and probably somewhere overseas think this way. And you're making all these really dope, ill connections. You know what I mean? Oh, man. And eventually at this point, I've evolved like from who I was in New York, you know, because now, at this point, I'm delving into the underground yeah. myself. You know, so I, I'm I'm I was a I was a fiend, man. Like my my paychecks went to music. Right. That's so you're it. helping create the underground. Essentially, you're you're part of the catalyst with other people in other places that are helping to create this underground thing. Because that's what drew me to you is because these dudes from Boston, Comodos, finding mm-hmm. out. And, and the fact that I, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I know there's other groups and other other artists that that are creating the stuff that I like. It's not all from New York or from Cali. There's other right. places, you know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah. Are, you and your crew 
and Comodos and their crew and whoever else like are the cat. You guys are building the underground essentially. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, I mean, that's dope to hear it like that because in my mind, you don't think about it. You, you think you're kind of a enigma and you're not a part of, of anything, but, um, I guess that's kind of untrue the way you put it. And yeah. Um, you know, like those, those dudes, like, Comodos was really important. Boyda was really important. Everybody was kind of essentially like really important. It was just that fallout, man, that I think fucked it up. Right. You know, because between Jess and, and PFM, they're kind of separate when everybody went separate ways. And, um, you know, I, it was crazy because I didn't think I was dope like that. And to hear like heads like Mud Buddha from Distorted Megabytes and other heads like you know KVI, yeah, um, you know, tell me that yo, I, I dig your music because Voida was, I guess Voida would share music that we've done together or like solo tracks that I've done over Voida beats and things like that. Um, and you know, eventually, like in 2005, I end up flying out to Boston. Now, Void knew about it, you know. Right, right. About it. it wasn't on no snake shit. I got you, man. Yeah, yeah, it was, no, it was definitely on no snake shit. Yeah, Void knew about it. He just couldn't go. I wish he could have gone, but I flew out there. Um, and this is before the falling out, man. Like, I flew out there with PFM, Iron Aura, and Orion Pax, you know. And um, it was a, a gracious gift by one of their friends um, in Boca, that actually paid for my ticket. Oh, thank you. Is it, which one is this one? Oh yeah, this is one. <laughs> yeah. My bad, man, it was just oh. uh, a box of uh, a gems that, that she brought. So okay, I could, okay, yeah. okay, I got you. <laughs> but, show, um, and tell, but, show and tell later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like in 2005, we flew out to Boston and we got picked up by Short Rock. Shout out to Short Rock from 1200 Hobos. Yep. One of the illest fucking DJs, the epitome of fucking Boston. That dude right there, sick. Yes. You know, also he's uh, Uncommon's, you know, turn. And I shouldn't say DJ, man, because he's, he's a turntablist. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's more than that. He's a turntablist. And um, that's somebody you should interview, hopefully, because that dude got stories. He's done a lot of work in this industry right. and he's he's shaped he has definitely shaped up the culture you know for turntablism because if you wasn't as dirty as him on the tables <laughs> to me you yeah. ain't shit yeah i got you man because that dude that dude can make beats with his cuts who you know can make beats with their cuts nobody you know what i'm saying so for me like someone that could do that do you you like an mc you just do it with your hands and he could rhyme too. He could rhyme. Don't don't sleep on him. He could rhyme. He got some shit. I've never I've heard, heard him. Rhyme. I would love to hear his rhyme, but yeah, no. And uh, he got a crew with with Davy Dreadnought. Uh, and I think it's a uh, America America's Distorted. You know, kind of like AD. Right, I got you. You know, but they got you know America's Distorted. That's just dope. That's just fly. You know, so um. But yeah, so we we fly out there in 2005. We stay in Boston. We're in Medford, in Medford, and uh, 
So we get to this two floor, no, it was like three floor house or two floor house or some shit like that. Old school house has no power. So Short Rock picks up picks us up at Logan. We drive, you know, over there to Medford. We get to the house. There's no power. There's a studio, but there's no power. And this is my Buddha's place. And um, excuse me. So he's like, no, the power's gonna come on by the morning. <laughs> so I was like, all right. So we're like, so what are we gonna do? You know, there's a bunch of like, yo, all you have is artists in this building, in, right. in this, you know, this house. You got Mud Buddha was there, KDI was there, uh, Clutch eventually shows up. Um damn, who else was there? Aura, Pax, PFM, myself. Um, oh, they eventually pick up Diverse One from Distorted Megabytes. Shout out to Diverse One. Short Rock was there. Yo, I'm just telling you, it's like heads. Right. Heads. Like, so we're in the dark. We there's a Chinese spot up the block. So we, you know, we walk up, you know, walk up the block to get food and shit like that. We came back. Everybody was eating. And then there was a, a room upstairs. And it was, I told you this house was dark. <laughs> so we just, um, they had like a little speaker, I guess. And they were playing like a little bit of music from their phone or whatever. <clears throat> and I just picked a corner and I put my bag down and put my hoodie over and I just went to sleep. But there's, there's something funny about that story, right? <laughs> so... The funny part about that story was, and, and Kiki, if you ever talk to KDI, he can tell you, um, it was funny because we had a bet that if the power was turned on in the morning, whoever gets in the studio first, right, could use the studio the entire day. And oh. then the group that, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't win had to leave the house for for eight hours oh wow yeah so so <clears throat> so i woke up and this power so i walked down i walked down the stairs because i was upstairs and this is a very old house like you step on those stairs and you're gonna yeah, you hear you everything know, yeah, yeah, yeah you hear town. everything <laughs> so but i walked i walked down those stairs Real, uh, real slow. Um, Short Rock was Short Rock was asleep on this mattress on the floor in some like uh, some type of room. He was by himself. He was asleep. And then on the other side, it was this like like a like a living room, dining room type thing. And Kiki yo was sleeping in this chair, like just sitting up asleep. So. I look over to him and he's dead asleep. Like I'm in his face. <laughs> and he's dead asleep. And then so everybody's asleep. So I ran upstairs. Right? I run back upstairs. And yo, they got PFM propped up on the door with a with a mattress. Oh, so that way nobody gets into that studio? Mm-hmm. And it's a pull-out door, it's not a pull-in. So you had to pull the door and PFM, you know, he a big dude, you right. know, and 
I was mad skinny, but I don't give a fuck. I took the mattress and I slid that shit to the side. And I opened through the crack of the door because I was mad, mad skinny back in the day. Right, right. Nigga, I, I slipped through that shit like a piece of paper. So, <laughs> so I slipped through it and I turned everything on. And, you know, it's a studio. It got the monitors. It got everything, you know. And on purpose, I turned that bitch on. Boom. <laughs> and yo, all you heard was do 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 do. It was fucking Kiki oh, running up them stairs. Up the stairs, and they ran in the room. And he's and you hear you hear him telling people, "Yo, wake up, wake up!" <laughs> so they open the door, they run in the room, and I'm already sitting at the at the table, right. you know, with, with the, the boards and, yeah, and yeah. everything. I was like, "Yo, y'all gotta go." Yep, see ya. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> that's 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 the infamous story we have about that trip. That was so dope. So so, so if everybody leaves, how do you how do you record? Who's no, recording? So, so all right. So it was we were broken up in groups. Right. Right. So Aura stayed behind with me and uh, Mud and Short. And then Kiki left with PFM and Pax to go see TSC in, in um I think TSC was living in Cambridge, something like that. So they went out there to go chill with TSC and shit and, you know, talk music. But, um, and so while I was at the house, yo, shout out to Crisis Colossus. You know who Crisis Colossus is? Yeah, man. You told me about him, man. You're a big dude, too. <laughs> yeah, Crisis Colossus. Yo, so <clears throat> he's fucking dope, too, man. And he dropped the project. I'll, I'll have to look for it and send it to you. And um, yeah, man. So he showed up at the house, and he said he heard me rhyming from outside. And I wasn't even screaming. It was just, you know, he said he heard me from outside. Right, right. And he came, and you know, he's a tall dude. Like he's hella tall. And he came in. He's like, "Who the fuck is so loud?" And he sees this little dude. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not that tall. And he's like, God damn, that was you. I heard you from outside. <laughs> but he's a cool dude too, man. And he sat there. He was listening to this track that I was doing. And and he was like, yo, I, I really dig your style. You know, so I'm, I'm still good friends with um, Christ. He actually moved to Florida, man. Oh, he lives out here now? Where? Uh, Like, I think an out maybe 45 minutes away from West Palm. He lived down there somewhere. And uh and Wet One, yo, shout out to Wet One. He moved to Florida too. Oh Wet man, I love Wet Man. Yeah, Wet One is fucking nasty. Yeah, he is nasty. That's, that's the homie right there. He he lives out here too now. Yo. Yeah, he dropped an album not too long ago, like, well, I should say maybe a couple of years ago, but I never, I heard snippets of it, but I never was able to get a copy of it. But it, I know that shit was dope. The one that he did with Timo? Yeah. Yeah, that track is, that album is, yeah, I, I, I haven't, um, I didn't get a chance to get my hands on it, but yeah, yeah that's a dope track. Shout out to Timo from Timo Japan. Timo from Japan, yeah, man. Timo's dope too, I miss Timo. He's from, uh, from Sendai, yeah. Sendai, Japan. Yeah, that's that. That's a that's a lost friendship that I wish I never lost. But whatever, that's another yeah. day, another story. You can get it back again, man. Who knows? You know. 
yeah, right. Yeah. So so you so you go to Boston. You have this experience of your life. So how does this transition eventually into Awakening the Dead, like your first album with Void? And was that your first album? Did you do come out with an EP before that? So we we came out. We did a lot of collaboration, and we did a lot of like music for compilation tracks, but we never put anything together. Um, we we had an uh, so Awakening the Dead was supposed to be a first album, but we turned it into an EP, and um, <clears throat> that that project didn't happen until I left Miami. In uh, I left Miami, I think in two thousand six. 2007 and I moved up here but that didn't happen until man um I think 2008 2009 and I was living in Ultima that's that's when I already had met you yes yep so during that time I had met you you introduced me to Kill Toy shout out to Kill Toy and an MC out here in Orlando and he's dope as fuck too. And um, so when you my birthday brother, <laughs> yep. So when you introduced me to him, uh, Void and I already had started building on this project, um, not in Miami but out here. And um, and that project too kind of was like a project to to get me and Void talking again, because Void was kind of upset with me that I left Miami. Right. I, yeah. You know, you, you so, know, you're his brother, so you laughed and you know, yeah, feeling yeah. some kind of way, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. But you know, we started talking, and uh, he actually came up, you know, to stay with me, and uh, he stayed with me for like a week. So, you know, pretty much the awakening of the dead was, you know, our old, our old to to zombies. Right. You know, we love you love zombies, but. Like, I know that zombie isn't really zombie. It, it's a metaphor for other things, too. So what, what else does zombie represent in this in that release for you? So zombies, for me, in a perception of, um, like, growing up, you know, I've, I, I've lived, I lived horrors, right? And I've watched people just go down really dark journeys of their, their own and end up killing themselves. And I felt like throughout this entire time that people were just, you know, soulless beings, but in the physical, walking the earth, being a scourge, destroying everything, destroying themselves, destroying everything that they love, just, you know, zombies, man. You know, I know George A. Romero, rest in peace, he had his own metaphor to it, but my metaphor was, you know, everything around me was apocalyptic mentally. Right. And and in my mental, I saw it in, in reality. You know, that was my perception. So everything was dying around me, but still living Correct. at the same time. And uh, so we were building, you know, we were building Awakening the Dead in that perception, you know, we we were the infection. We were the ones to destroy humanity, you know, and and in that apocalypse, we would rise with our music. 
damn, dope. Yeah, because I mean, I remember reviewing that album, and I kind of, I kind of compared it to like, uh, like early Public Enemy, you know, with like just how much energy and aggression. Um, and what's crazy is, you know, Public Enemy had, you know, the Shockley Brothers, you know, the Bomb Squad, and you guys, yeah. it was just you and Void, and Void handled all the production on it, you know. Yeah, everything, everything on Void, he mastered it. Yeah, he produced it. He did all the fucking beats. And um, a lot of the beats that he did, man, were right then and there. Yeah. You know, nothing that he came up with. Um, I want to say we barely slept when we did Awakening the Dead. Yeah, I, re- you know? I remember I was there in the house a couple of times, but like sonically, just that album and, and for sh- how short it is, I wish it was longer, but I understand you guys wanted to come out with something quick. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. It's like sonically incredible. Um, and, yeah. and more people should have a copy of that. Yeah, um, Void was Void was creating beats right then and there, and while he was creating them, because we, you know, we would talk, and um, we would talk and and about certain movie scenes and 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 things like that, and um, and with that man, like, I just wrote my verses right there, right, right then and there, like all those verses. We're not reused verses. Right. Those are verses I wrote right then and there. Yeah, that's a talent, bro. Like and what and one of my favorite tracks. Um, can you show? Album. Can you show? Yeah, can you show the the cover, please? Man, now this this cover was designed by my man C seventy three Cipher <laughs> right here. Yep, check it out. I had I had fun making that, bro. Is this still wrapped? Yeah, it's still wrapped, bro. It's brand new, man. Yeah, and um, I mean, I love every track on here. And there's a uh, there's live guitar, um, uh, by Curtis Meter. Yeah, rest you... in peace. He passed away. He oh. committed suicide. When when did this happen? Uh, about three years ago. No way, man. I remember. I remember you telling me about him. Yeah, man. I you know it, it fucking hit me in uh and and void real hard because. We met him through um through short. Right. And um yeah, man, it, it, it was it was real bad because we had a lot of projects that he was supposed to do for us. You know, we we um even though abstract distortion started off as a two-man group, but um short rock is the turntableist for you know for abstract distortion, and then um Curtis Meter. You know, again, rest in peace. He was supposed to be our guitarist. So eventually we were gonna create something like that. That that was the that was the the goal in mind was to create something live like that. And that's unfortunate, man. Uh that sucks. But yeah, like that 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 EP, like Morning Star Strain, like one of my favorite tracks on there. Yeah, Morning Star Strain, man, Kill Toy. And it was funny because when Kill Toy came over. You know, we we explained the the track to him, and he jumped on. Right, he jumped on. So he wrote something right then and there, and you know, and we and he recorded his track right then and there. I think, um, but my favorite track um, is "Emphatical Suicide." Okay, so go into that. Explain what "Emphatical Suicide" is. So, "Emphatical Suicide," from for many that don't know, like. I tried to commit suicide years ago. I think I was like 
17 or 18, I tried to commit suicide. I tried to overdose on um on creatine to, you know, out pump my heart. So, but I got lucky, man, and um and I woke up, you know, so but emphatical suicide was just my rage, you know, toward the world and and I was like uh kind of like a suicide bomber, you know, in, in that sense, like I was running into a crowd of the world and in order to destroy it because that's how angry I was with, right. with the world. So were there any changes after you woke up when you realized, okay, I try to do this thing in my life and by the grace of God or the universe, I woke up, did it change your, your, the, the path you went on next or were you still having those same feelings? I was still having those same feelings. You know, um, yeah, I looked at the world different because I felt like I was still here for a reason. Correct. But at the, but at the same time, you know, sometimes I felt like, fuck, it didn't work. Yeah, because that pain never goes away, man, you know? No, no, it, it doesn't because, you know, sometimes I could just sit by myself and and contemplate on a lot of stuff and it I, I'll, I'll feel it seeping in. But I don't, I don't let it. I'm, you know, I'm grown now. Well, you're stronger. Uh, you, you... Yeah, I'm stronger now, so I, I won't let it in. But emphatical suicides, um, that track right there, man. Like, is, I think that's like the hardest one on that. Like, I love all the tracks, but I think emphatical suicide, because Void is on it. It's his production, but we just like, I think we just really get angry on that shit. I could play it for you if you want. Go ahead, play play like a minute of it if you can. Uh, let me see. So how long did it take? Because you're saying you guys didn't get, really get any sleep. So how long did it take you to, to do this project? Man, like, I think it took about it, the entire week. But I think in total, we might have slept maybe two, three hours that entire week. Right. Because we, we would work throughout the night. Right. You know, into the morning and then like we'll take like power naps, right. get up and then do it again. So what takes people months and sometimes years to do, you guys did in like a week and yeah. it's not sonically like incredible. And then obviously lyrically is, is on another level that that's that's great. Let me see. I got I got it right here for you.
So listen, dude, when 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 I'm done with the recording and everything and I do my edits with your permission, I'd like to put on this this video, the Morbid Orphans track. And yeah. so that emphatical suicide so people can can hear it, you know, a little bit more clear yeah. rather than through speakers. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. All right. So after you do this project, you know what I mean? Um, obviously, you've always been a poet. I mean, to me, <laughs> I'm a poet, you know, but you actually do poetry, spoken word. Yes. You created this book, your first book called Quest Inscribed Between the Lines. Um, yeah. How did that come about? Like what, what, 
prompted you to, you know, because some people do works of art, but they won't do anything with it. You know, it's something that's for themselves, I guess, some sort of like uh, mental therapy, you know, something for themselves. You just decided to release, you know, this material. What what prompted you to do that? And when did, when did this come out? When did you, when did you drop this? Uh, man, shit. I know. <laughs> let, me, let me look because I have a copy here too. Uh, man, when did I drop this? Man? Wow, 2013. 2013. This is the book. Show your because because you have a bigger screen than mine. So <laughs> show your book. <laughs> That's it right there. Full quest inscribed between the lines. 2013, man. Wow, time flies. Yeah, like you said, man, it was kind of my own um, writing poetry for me uh, since I was young, since I was 10, um, has always been my mental therapy, right? Like, um, I've gone through a lot in my life, and, and I think it just, it delves into your mind, like, it starts infecting your mind, so... I would hear voices, you know, and through those voices and the way I guess I felt about something, I would just, you know, I had to write. And um, that's what I did. It was like kind of like a a mental therapy for me, you know, um, when I would write. So I eventually wanted to share. I didn't think anyone would buy the book or understand, you know, what I've written in the book. Um, but it's just my perception of, um, the way of the world, the way I looked at the world, maybe some experiences, things like that, or how I felt about a certain situation that I, you know, that I, I, I watched myself. And, um, so I created Inscribe Between the Lines and I called it Inscribe Between the Lines because kind of like the Bible things are written a certain way, but I don't I don't think people really understand what is written right in front of them. So it's inscribed between the lines, like the truth, the reality, what the true meaning is, unless you try to study what those words mean, is how you'll truly figure out how to understand, you know, what is in between those lines. What is the message? What is the true message of what that person is saying. And it's kind of like the Bible, man. Like, I feel a lot of people read the Bible. They have their assumptions about the Bible. And they, you know, they live off of certain passages, but don't really understand that passage. Correct. They they just scratch the surface and then that's it. They don't dig deeper into it. Right. Like a lot of people, yes, I'm, I'm agnostic or probably some people say I'm atheist, but I've read the Bible. Correct. From the cover. I, I've read the Bible before. And, you know, and the only reason I, I felt like I understood the Bible was because I studied poetry. I studied the verbiage of poetry. And it was writ- the Bible was written poetically for simple minds. So you have this complex piece that the Bible truly is. It's a complex piece. It's a lot of stories. It's, it's more, more than passages. It's metaphorical stories. And a lot of simple minds, no offense to anybody, but, you know, it is what it is. Right. You know, it's it's metaphorical stories, complex metaphor, metaphorical stories. And if you don't understand the verbiage, you're not going to get it. 
it's not for the it's not for lazy people. Right. You want to be, you know, you want to wake up. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. got you. You understand it. So we had a conversation before I started recording this about a couple of pieces out of there. Um, Livid being one of my favorites, and then yours is uh, Reciprocator's Short Fuse. So, Reciprocator's Short Fuse. Yeah, mm-hmm. so Livid, Livid, if you can, well, I'm going to give you an option. You can read Livid or Reciprocator's Short short Fuse, and then if you can kind of oh. a little explanation of what that represents, what 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 that, what it's about. So reciprocators I'll, I'll read that one yes please so reciprocated short fuse was when i was growing up um my mom's husband you know my my father uh he was he was um in vietnam and um you know when he came back he was just he was very quiet but he was very angry he was different. Yeah, very different. And um, I mean, I didn't know him before he, you know, he went to the war, not like that. But when he came back, you know, he was quiet. It was, but anything, any little thing, man, like he snapped. And I was his, you know, I was a a, a meat punching bag, you know, so. Eventually, you know, as I got older, I found the words that I wanted to use, you know, and I'll, I'll put it in this uh, in this part. So it was, you know, I know we don't have no uh, speaking terms, you know, at all for the last, oof, I don't know, it's been years. And, um, but yeah, that's, you know, it's kind of my, my experience, uh, what I went through as a kid. Right. You know, so that's. So it served as something cathartic to be able to. Yeah. Do that? Okay. Yeah. Right, so go ahead, man, spit. Let me, let me, let me, let me in the audience catch a glimpse of what, what we're going to, you know. Uh, all right. Let me see. <coughs> Sorry. It's all right. Um, in the thirst, I sustained conveyed curse. Induce electric influenza for pain is the cleanser. Warned destruction and transformation documented instantaneously intense of playback audio in my dome reels. Seared veins, swollen tears, teaching beginners base essence of mass consumption. When locked and loaded, the measurements proliferate flashes of short-lived statue silhouettes forming a risen organic stem, a fortunate omen's flat trajectory muzzle. High ending and no discharge marking a salute. This was the beginning of my reciprocated short fuse. Paid dues in a piece of Vietnam brought home for me to see and acquire satires laughter to capture my battleground at base subsiding symptoms after distant reoccurrence. Fluctuate the first acts of anodominity. Anodominity means after death. Right. Was instilled in me forevermore. Can I activate encores? I don't ask for more. Perpetuated what was beyond behind closed doors. Flood my gates when sedated, led by snakes, deviate what makes me, me. See me for who I am. Dissolve petulance. I wash my face with anger, bent on never smiling again. 
when the universes collide, my constellations look to me for mathematics. Wash me of my pungent, affectionate aspects. I don't plan on being your lost convention. Damn, I can feel that, bro. <laughs> I can feel that. And and the as we spoke earlier before, you know, before I started recording, like this is just one of like 30 plus yeah pieces pieces of fire you know what i mean um yeah man i mean i i don't even know what else to say like when 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 i helped you put this together and i was like trying to create the imagery it was like it was hard man honestly because i don't i don't think anybody can create imagery to represent the stuff that you went through in your life like mm -hmm. that you know so i just did my best but i mean no, you you did a fucking good ass job like i'm glad i did i mean i i hope people like it but i'm just saying like just the words man like every single piece in there and you know it's we we've had conversations before about how uncanny our lives are like they parallel each other you know so mm -hmm. i felt a lot of the pieces in here like personally because i went through a lot of shit too when i was growing up so um this book was very cathartic to me and i appreciate you for doing that just want to let you know that um so let's go into the hip-hop culture i don't want to like because this book segues to me into the hip-hop culture because you and i know that hip-hop you know is more than just guys getting on a mic and rapping you know uh there's pillars to it there's a history to it um it breaks off into so many different like subgenres of things beatboxing poetry you know, so many other things. Um, mm -hmm. When we were coming up, hip hop to me was on uh, about to break ground. And I felt like everybody was going to get an opportunity to do their craft and get seen and heard and whatnot. And it didn't work out that way. It, it, it was very small, like piece of the pie that everybody had an opportunity to get into. And then it just died. So what are your feelings on that? Like, like the progression of hip hop? Like, is it, does it still exist? Is it alive? Or is nah, it, man, people say dead? Nah. So hip hop, man, like, is not dead. That's one. You know, let that be known. Like, the hip hop is, it was a mother, it was a father, it was a cousin, it was, it was an entity that was given to us who didn't have any of that. And I don't think a lot of people, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people do understand that, but at the same time, you know, hip hop, the, the culture before it was to get fresh and get fly and, and rock all this and rock all that. We didn't have that. We didn't have shit. You know what I'm saying? We had, we had the grits and the grind and, and we had our life to survive. And I think after you know, all these gang wars that were, you know, throughout the 70s, because that shit was real. Um, one person I think you should interview is uh, King Class. He is a, uh, he's the historian for that world. And he actually was a, a consultant for um, Rubble Kings for that documentary. Yeah, that's a dope documentary, man. King Class, yeah. yeah. And, um, and he was a uh, little brother to uh, Ram Z. 
Oh, okay. I love Ram Z. Yeah, he grew, he he was kind of raised under the wings of Ram Z. So he's a, you know, very influential person. But gang-wise, man, like from the 70s to the 80s, you know, it was prevalent, right? So, you know, before, like I said, before getting fresh and getting fly and all this and, you know, rocking certain gear, um, we didn't have that. You know, we had our fists. And and a lot of people before me, that's what it was. A lot of people came back from the war and they came, they came back to a battleground in their own area. So what they did was they created gangs, you know, to 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 fight that. And then um eventually it was like the ghetto brothers who after they lost uh Black Benji, they started doing music. And that that music kind of influenced other people in the Bronx to create music. But it wasn't hip hop at the time. It was not called it dude hip hop, you know, I know I think the government gave it an official day in sometime in August, but it's not August. Hip hop, yes, that's the first jam that that Cool Herc threw in August. No, you know, not shitting on that. You know, okay. I remember but, you had to but, correct me on that shit one time, man. No, no, it's, it's not even about correcting. But it's, it's the truth, that, though, you know, because yeah. I had wrong information and you had to correct me on that. Because if not, I would have ran with that and would have been telling people the wrong information. So yeah, you, no, I, I, I feel you. Yeah. But, it, it is what it is. So during that time when 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 there were gangs, so Ghetto Brothers were the first to kind of start doing music, you know, as a as a gang, you know, they became a group. And they were doing music as the Ghetto Brothers, and then you had Cool Hurt, and then you know you had Bambada, who uh, was also a DJ, and he was a part of the Spades. And um, during that time, he eventually then creates on uh, November uh, 12th, 1973, creates Zulu Nation, and um, so that's where it kind of takes off for then. But it was a year later. In November 12, 1974, when uh, Keith Cowboy and uh, some other heads, you know, were uh, making fun of a friend, and um, because he was gonna go to the military, so they were like, "Oh, you gonna be on some hip, hop, hip, hop, hip." So before that, you know, it was called the Boyoin, the Jump Off, the Get Down, you know, like the like the show. Yeah, you know, Netflix. Yes. Right. So that's what, you know, hip hop was called, man, back in back in that day. It was like the boy yoing, you know, the jump off, the get down, you know, it was it was called everything else but hip hop. Right. You know, and then, you know, they were making fun of that friend going to the military and then it just stuck. November 12th, 1974. That's when hip hop got his name. And so, and so from there, it took off, right? Like, people thought it was going to be like disco and it was going to die, but it, it kept going. And then we get into the era where we come up and we have this underground scene mixed with a really good, like, commercial scene, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we grew up, we hate a commercial, but deep down inside, we, we like big. Well, okay, so. Like that. We, so, okay, no. it So, you know, even, like, whack music wasn't really considered um commercial i think a lot of people what they get um misconstrued is that and this is my take i might be wrong but you know you had 
you had what we were doing, what was hip hop, right? Even before it was given the name hip hop. The the culture, now we didn't have, you know, we had jams. You know, we, you know, heads were stealing light, you know, from electric pole and they were creating, you know, park jams, you know? And then, um, but who had um, clubs were the gays. And a lot of people would they or a lot of people don't understand about the gay about the gay community is that the gay community in the 70s were thrown to the street because their families didn't want them because right. of who they were and who they loved. Right, because it was they were taboo back then. Right, right. But you know, they they what they did, you know, like what hip hop eventually did was they got together. And what they did was, yeah, they created disco, but they're the ones that opened the clubs. And it was hip hop that snuck into those clubs to, to start playing in clubs. Right. A collaboration yeah. kind of. Right. Right. So, you know, yeah, we never dug disco, like, you know, like they sample, but you know, they were the they were the door. And that's what a lot of people don't understand, you know. So that's that's a that's something in history I think people don't know. Is you know that's how it was. There was a lot of gay people on the streets, homeless, you know. And um and if it wasn't for a lot of people, um, they you know, what they ended up doing instead of like squatting in buildings, they turned that shit into clubs. Right. And then what they did was any anyone who was gay or whatever that was you know on the streets, they eventually were like you know, dress themselves up and then just go there and just dance all night. That's what it was. It's not like, you know, now you go home and, you know, you go to a nice apartment or whatever. It wasn't like that. A lot of those people went back to the streets, you know, or they slept in the club, then, you know, you know, all fucked up and shit like that. But, um, yeah, but eventually that's, you know, like hip hop started trickling into, from the parks into the clubs. And then eventually blew up. Eventually, and happened. eventually blew up. Commercial shit didn't really happen until like, I mean, late like late nineties, right? Late nineties because um, anything hip hop that was like really dope, you had like Red Alert playing on. Uh, he had like Kiss FM. I don't remember the. I think it was like ninety four point seven back in the day. That was eighties. And he was playing hip hop on the radio. So dope hip hop was on the radio. It was. It wasn't until the late 90s when they started, you know, playing this. They started mixing pop, pop music, like pop stars, mixing it with rap. You know, but I grew up in a time where I remember listening to my radio and listening to this group of people talk about how the culture and and mind you, this is before parental advisory were on, were on tapes. Right, the sticker. I was, yeah, that sticker. So, I was listening to a radio station when I was a kid and listening to them talk about how we're a scourge, Puerto Ricans and blacks, and how we're a scourge of the earth. You know, any Hispanic or any black, you know, black man was a scourge of the earth. And I remember listening to that radio and them talk about you know the culture of hip hop how you know it's a it's like a 
a thorn in the side of of America. And if you look now to what hip hop is to America, it's a lot stronger than a lot of other cultures. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A lot of money. <laughs> People have made a lot of money off this culture. So, um, but yeah, man, like commercial, you know, your Nellies and, and all that other, all that other stuff that didn't come out until like late nineties. That's why, you know, underground, I want to say it's always been there because there was a lot of people who weren't getting their time because back in the day, if you weren't dope or you didn't seem dope to a certain producer or, you know, an A and R or whatever, you wasn't getting on. Now you got everybody want to be a rapper and artist and, you know, you got all these these people. I don't like their music, but I you know, you. it you know, there's no filter like it was back in the day. Right. You didn't have somebody pass you a tape and then look at you, you know, it also like and how you look. If they looked at you and they looked at your tape, they'd be like, Yeah, man, I got you. And then the minute you turn away. Fuck yeah. out of here with that bullshit. The trash can. You know? <laughs> the trash can, man, you know, or you sat or you sat in a box. You sat in a box and your life went nowhere, you know, unless you did something yourself with your life. But essentially, that's what happened. You either got tossed in the garbage or you were put in a box or you sat on a shelf. You know, so. But yeah, man, that's that's kind of how it was back in the day. But you have real music on the fucking on the radio. Not just co- college radio wasn't prevalent until, I mean, yeah, protect your neck. You had Stretch and Bob. You know they were the only ones who were like I considered college. But you had like Hot ninety seven, and they were playing dope ass music. They weren't playing fucking Ice Ice Baby or none of that bullshit. They weren't playing MC Hammer. None of that. They were playing fucking. Nah, it's like you turn on the radio and New York State of Mind came on or Represent came on or um, A Ain't Hard to Tell came on. You know what I'm saying? Like you heard Protect Your Neck on fucking Hot 97. Uh, you heard a bunch of Wu-Tang joints on Hot 97 back in the day. You know? So, I mean, and then we had The Source. We had The Source magazine, you know? So The Source magazine... And this is where I'm gonna get into what I'm gonna show you in a second is that, um, you know, so the culture started to rise up, you know, come out of the rubble, as we say. <coughs> and you you had to have a real talent, you know, you had to have a really real like a real strong talent. And um, I mean Bronx, you got you got Karis One. You know, you got so many people. You got um in Queens, you know, you got the first female MC was Roxy Chante. Sorry, let me <laughs> oh, go ahead, man. Go ahead. And if it wasn't for Roxanne Chante, you wouldn't have none. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because when Roxanne Chante was a teenager and Nas was a kid, you know, she was already going around battling everybody. And um and then you had like Nas wanted to rhyme for her, but when he first went to rhyme to you know for her, he couldn't spit. He was nervous. Right. And she told Nas like, 
yo, the next time you come up to me and you don't have a rhyme for me, I'm gonna punch you dead in your fucking face. So the next time he came up to her, he rhymed. She was like, all right. He goes, all right. And sure enough, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got Nas. One of the nastiest motherfuckers in the world. Oh, yeah, man. Nasty Nas. Yeah, nasty Nas. You know, so, and then you got, you know, you had Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn got so many fucking MCs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You you got J. Rue the Damager. God, man. Uh, you got Buckshot. Yeah, Buckshot, yeah. Black Moon. Yeah. <laughs> man. You know, you got ODB, Jizza came from Brooklyn, you know, ODB came from Brooklyn, Boot Camp, you know, majority of them came from Brooklyn, you know. So, I mean, all the boroughs had some ill-ass shit, you know, Fat Joe from fucking, from the Bronx, you know, with DITC, digging in the crates, Lord Finesse and all of them, you know, real shit, like real, real shit. So, you know, yeah, shout out to, to... the radio was fucking on fire back in the day. I mean, and it and even in hip hop, the biggest thing in hip hop was, um, and this needs to be mentioned is dancehall man reggae. You know when you went to house parties, and I remember listening to Hot ninety seven, waiting for Bobby Condens to come on so I could get my tape ready <laughs> and, and record, and record, record. Yeah, man. You know so. You know, the radio was popping back in the day. We carried boomboxes. I'm not saying everybody did, but I did. I carried my boombox everywhere. Everywhere I went, I carried my fucking boombox, man. And, you know, whether I was in New York or when I was in Jersey, I carried my boombox everywhere. I was always listening to fucking music. That was a part of your, you know, it was a part of you, like an extension of who you were, you know what I mean? Yeah, man, like, <clears throat> you know, like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, digressing or anything, but this culture to a lot of people was, it was a part of your soul. It was who you were, you know, and like, yeah, I had a mother and yeah, I had a father figure at the house, but were they really a mother and a father figure at the house? No, because if they were, then I wouldn't be on the streets at six years old, you know, living, living that life. And it wasn't until 1984 is when, you know, when I, like I told you, I was at that um, that dude's house, you know, and I seen them spinning records, you know, so that was the enlightenment, enlightenment for me because the culture in that time, for me, I started hanging, like, seeing uh, a lot of Zulus. And, you know, Zulus, there were a lot of breakers, graffiti, <coughs> graffiti writers, uh, MCs, and uh and DJs. So and then the fifth element is knowledge. So they were kicking mad knowledge. And you know, you had so I hung around, you know, dudes like that. And it felt like, you know, it was a, you know, hip hop was like a mother, was like right. a father. Right. It was nurturing. Yeah, yeah, and then I feel like what they did eventually to hip hop was they put her in a dress. I consider hip hop like mother earth, like you know, she's a mom. And I felt like eventually what they did was they cracked her out, they put her in the dress, they put her on the streets and sold the bitch. You know what I'm saying? Because it was more like she was the mom that you went home to and she just gathered all these children of the world and made them brothers and sisters 
And um, and that's how it was. And a lot of people don't understand that. I think a lot of people still don't understand that because the culture also to- taught you loyalty, honesty. You know what I'm saying? Like, always look a man in his eye when you talk to him. You know, when, you, when you're walking down the street, you know, and you make eye contact with another person, you know, you give them that nod. That's yeah, hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. That's hip-hop. A lot of people don't know that. That's hip-hop. You know, that's that was your way of when you walked on the app and you made eye contact so, with somebody, you went like that. It was a sign of respect. You didn't have to know that person. You know what I'm saying? But you don't you don't know what you just did for that person. Right. That person might have been woke up having a bad day, but you, that head nod to them, and you made that eye contact, like, yo, I acknowledge you, I acknowledge your life. Right. You just probably made that person feel a lot better. So the culture, essentially, man, like, is it's an it's an, an own entity. And then eventually, it got into fashion, because, you know, you people knew you were hip-hop by what you wore. You know, like, you had your B-boys who rocked a... You know, their Adidas were fat laces. And Adidas came from Run DMC. Correct. And they didn't wear laces. You know what I'm saying? They wore theirs, you know, without the lace. You know, and that was jail shit. You know, that was that was because they take away your shoelaces so you don't commit suicide or, or kill somebody. Right, or, you know, somebody right. or, or choke them out. So, um, but yeah, but B-Boys, you know, they rocked it with real fat laces. Like, that was the shit back in the day. You rocked it with real fat laces. You didn't lace them up. You just kept them real fat, real tight, nice, you know? And then they didn't have, you know, their jeans weren't tight, but they weren't loose. Because that baggy jean shit didn't hurt hit until, like, late 80s, you know? So B-Boys, you know, you saw them wearing, like, real straight jeans, Right. Because they wanted to show off their shoe. They didn't, you know, you'll never you'll never see like a real B-boy wear like baggy jeans. They probably drew, you know, the graffiti writers drew baggy pants on B-boys, but it really wasn't like that, man, because B-boys were really the the fashionistas, you know, of, of hip hop, I feel like, because they're even though they were B-boys and they were dancing, their Adidas had to be pristine or their pumas had to be pristine, you know, and they wanted to show that off. You know what I'm saying? Like, or they, you know, if they had like a shirt on or they kangle, you know, that their belt buckles with their name on it. So about being fresh. Yeah, man. You know, that that came from B-boys, man. You know, a lot of graffiti writers did that shit too. You know, started wearing belt buckles and shit like that, you know, with their with their name or whatever. But yeah, man, you know, the culture, you know, it, it means a lot to a lot of people. It saved a lot of lives. I know it saved my life. I agree. You know? I agree. So, I mean, so where is it at today? So, what, what like, is there hip-hop culture today? There's hip-hop culture, man. You got a lot of MCs, man. You got from everywhere, you know, like, man, you got dudes like, like lifelong, you know. Shout out to lifelong. Yeah. Lifelong has been doing hip hop since the eighties. He didn't just he just didn't wasn't showing up in the nineties right. as your or as Stronghold or Writers Guild or, right. or things like that. Yeah. 
Invite us, Gil. You know what I'm saying? I did an interview. I did an interview with with him, and you know, he grew up, you know, in the in in that era in the 70s. Like he was prevalent. That shit was in his fucking DNA. You know, so you got heads like him and and heads who roll with him. You know, like that. There's so many. There's so many MCs, man. Like the culture is still alive. As long as you're an MC, you're an artist. Graffiti writer, DJ, B-boy, as long as you still doing it, you know, doing what you love, what's in it, what's in you, the culture's still there. Fuck everybody else who think this shit is dead. So what's the future for hip-hop? Yo, I think um, the future of hip-hop, I mean, originally was, I know, and it's funny because I remember going to the meetings, they wanted to create a city that was based on it. But obviously that never happened. So I think it's just going to keep going. You know, and the sound will keep evolving, whether we like it or we don't like it. You know, there's as I've gotten older, you know, I still listen to what I grew up on. You know, that's my, that's my, when I'm feeling really bad and I play something from back in the day, I have to, I had I have to do it. I have to hear it because it made me feel better. Right. There's a lot of music today that's dope, you know, but I think as I've gotten older um a lot of it to me like you have a lot of these dudes trying to come hard and no offense to them because some of them sound real dope and I don't know their background to, you know, speak ill of them. I got I know what you're saying. Yeah, I got you. But yeah. some of it I don't feel. Right. I don't like it. I got you. My brother like it. Void will like it. Right. You know, he likes your Conways and, and your West Side Guns and, and stuff like that. And the Griselda dudes. dudes. Yeah. You know, it's not my steez. Right. You know, there's a lot of dudes I, I don't listen to. I mean, I don't buy, I, I buy music, but a lot of the music I buy now is like people I know. So I'm trying to support local. Right. You know, I, I think we've spent our life making everyone else rich, but the people who are really doing it. Right. The people like right next to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big thing in this culture is that we need to start supporting, you know, our local people. We need to start supporting our friends more because, you know, these are people who have nothing and still trying to create something. And, you got you have some of those people who are like, oh man, your your music is so dope, it's so fresh. I can't wait until you drop something. Then they drop something. Then what? Nothing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nothing. Gets, yeah, I got you, man. It's like everybody's willing to say, oh my god, I can't wait, I can't wait. So the day that they release something on social media, what one like, maybe two likes, you know, maybe a DM. Who knows? Maybe a purchase. If, if you're lucky. You know, yeah. there. <laughs> you know, so for me, you know, the future of the culture is people like myself who I got to get a taste of, of, of being an artist, right? I am an artist, but for the most part, I've become a family man. I'm a husband. I'm a father first. You know, those those are the things that I am, you know, and then, but I'll always be hip hop, you know, because my wife would tell you, I could talk about music all fucking day, you know, and 
my shirts, I rock, I rock, you know, all type of shirts. Like I'm I'm rocking Ice Cube right now. Wait up. Yesterday I was rocking a Wu shirt. You know, it don't need to be Wu Wednesday for me. I rock a Wu shirt any day. Yeah, Wu's and every day. <laughs> you know, I, I'm rocking a New York a Yankee fitted. Like that's New York. You know, that's just who I am. I could rock a Chicago White Sox hat. That's that's hip hop. Like it, it didn't matter, man. Like the future of hip hop, as long as we keep doing it, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be like the people that you see in the limelight now, because the the ones in the limelight, I, I'm not gonna say nothing because I'll really offend people. But um, the ones in the limelight right now, that's not what hip hop is. That's you know uh, a prepackaged. Um, MRE. Oh, it, man. It, that's an ill. That's an ill analogy, bro. <laughs> that's an ill. Three packets MRE. Go ahead, eat that shit, bro. I used to have to eat those things. For- <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Go ahead, eat that garbage. Eat that. I mean, you you gotta live off of it right. because you know nothing else around you. But that's the point. Right. People they they prepackage this this these people and they give it to the world and it's like. I don't know what has happened to the, you know, to the people who really like hip hop. Well, this is the deal. This is the deal, my man. Like, I don't understand how it's so hard for people to go and look for music and find dope music like you and I are capable of doing when we have the universe essentially of knowledge in the palm, literally the palms of our hands, you know, we can find Mm -hmm. that music. We used to be able to, without this, we used to be able to find really dope, obscure stuff. Something happened in that transition where now we can't, people don't even look for it no more. They're just, is it a mind control thing or is it because they're lazy? Is it because the music is just easier to just put on and have in the background when you got to mumbling I think, all the time? I say, I think this this generation of music is like disco, right? It's something... It, per se, they don't really have to understand what's being said. It's just danceable. And it's, I guess, feel-good music to them, you know? So I kind of say it's maybe maybe it's like that, you know, because, like, my wife, she don't listen, you know, she don't listen to any of that stuff, but she has a very eclectic ear. She could listen to real old shit, you know what I'm saying? But then she could listen to now stuff. You know, it's what makes, I think, at the end of the day, music in general is how you make you feel. You know, you might relate to it. You know, I don't relate to none of the music that's coming out now. Or that's being, you know, like your RJ Paynes and um, your Rome Streets. You know, shout out to those dudes who, who are doing their thing. Do I like their music? No, not really. But that's just me. Got you. Because... I'm not living that life no more. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I am I don't live that life anymore. I'm I'm a dad <laughs> for the most part. So probably that's probably why I kind of I, I kind of resonate with like Zarvase because right. esoteric is a dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's what? Really dope hip-hop dad music? I don't know. <laughs> you know, Doom. MF Doom. Shout out to MF Doom. May he rest in peace. RP, man. Yep. You know, um, 
he was a father. He was a dad too. And he, but, you know, he did, he loved comic books, man. And he made really fucking dope abstract music. Even when he did fucking, when he was KMD. Yeah. As Zeb Love. You know, he made dope ass music. You know, but eventually he became a dad. And he he rocked with a lot of with a lot of dudes that that he liked, you know. I don't know. I, there's just a lot of music I I don't I don't listen to. You know, I listen to a lot of Aesop Rock. I think that's the the po the the poet in me. You right. know, like I'll sit there, I can enjoy his album, but then I'll go back to just listen to the words and try to decipher what he's saying. And I and I like that. Yeah. You know, so the future of the of the culture will always be there because you you have young people coming up doing what what the what our generation did that they like a lot. And then you have this generation who just wants to be an island boy, if you've seen that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And as terrible as that shit sounded, but that shit stays in your head. It's fucked yeah. up, but it, you know, it's funny. There's memes about it, but that shit stays in your fucking head. Earworm, bro. They're horrible sometimes. Earworms. Oh man, you know the 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 state of music is everywhere. It's everywhere, but you know, look, man, music was was put on this planet for people to eat. You know what I'm saying? It, it and there's a lot of people eating off of it. So how can we get upset off that? Right. Are, is everybody dope? Nah. You know, are really whack people eating off the music? Yeah. Are a lot of them riding our culture? Yeah, they are. They riding off our culture, but whatever, culture, man. Culture vultures. So anyway, yeah. bro. So let's end the segment by I want you to tell me like what's What's next? What's next for Quest? What's next for Abstract Distortion? If you, if there is going to be more Abstract Distortion stuff, like what's your future? So um, we do have a, a album that we're building right now called uh, Asphyxiated Dreams. And uh, so we're building on that. And um, man, so that that we, we, we building on that right now. And now we're just trying to do collabs with certain heads. I can't say, you know, what flag they fly under, but, you know, we, we're working on some other shit too. And, um, but yeah, Asphyxiated Dreams, man, is the album that um, Boy is working on right now, trying to put together, because he's actually putting out a project of his own um, under uh, M25. Um, which is also like Trust One from okay. Formulas Abstract. Yes. So my brother's been working a lot with them lately. And that's another connection that's not Florida related. This is like West Coast, Cali. Yeah. Because Trust One, I think, I think Trust One is in um, in San Diego. Yeah. I think. And then, but we also have connects in Hawaii. You know, New Cocoon. New Cocoon. And forgot forgot about them, man. Yeah, they're yeah, dope. New Cocoon, man. That whole fucking camp. Yeah. Them dudes is nasty, you know. And Wormhole, man. Shout out to Wormhole. Um, you know, he's done a lot of music with us. 
So you'll probably hear him on that album. You know, Summons. Um, yep. Summons. He's from New Mexico, but he's down with New Cocoon. And he changed his name to uh, Black Wolf. And he got a new project my brother's on. You know, so, and we've done music with him. Uh, we did a track um, with him, and we've done a track with uh, Viva La Hindrance, Issue 7, Passive 65 from United Kingdom. Yep, that's another connect from, you know, our brothers from overseas, man. Yep. Yeah, man. So, um, Passive Crack! <laughs> he had that on one of his albums, man. Kept, yep. Every every few minutes, he'd be like, "Crack," you know. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that that's the the thing for um for abstract distortions. We're doing asphyxiated dreams. We want to do some other stuff, but I know that's been an album that Boy's been wanting to to release for some time now, and um. And yeah, man, like I I got, I think I got like maybe some new stuff on the rise. Like I want to do a book and I know I, I keep promoting that I'm going to release a book. I'm going to release a book. And then people are like, yeah, whatever. Fuck you. But I released the first book. Right. You know, that took forever. You know, so I'll eventually drop this one, you know, when the time that's is right. right. Yeah, that's it. When the time is right, it'll happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, I, like I said, I have a. I have, it's like, I don't have material. Right. I have plenty of material, you know, so I could always drop something, but I don't want to drop something that's kind of similar to the first one. I want to do something, you know, different. Uh, what I had in mind for this book that's taken a long time is um, I wanted to kind of reflect mental awareness. You know, my mental battles, I know a lot of people have had their mental battles you know, um, mental awareness is, is a big thing because a lot of suicide, you know, has happened because of mental awareness. I mean, shit, I try to commit suicide, you know? Uh, I know a lot of people who, like like Curtis, who were successful and, you know, unfortunately they're not here. So, you know, feelings like that are the, and the type of emotion is what I want what I want to put into this book. Sounds dope. You know. All right, brother. Well, look, man, it was an honor having you, man. This was an awesome interview. Um, you 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 helped me cross out a bucket list thing, you know what I mean? So um, <laughs> so yeah, just keep me in touch. And when I release the video, I'm gonna put like links to anything that you you want me to send people to, like for your book or any other products. Um okay. and then you know, we'll we'll once you release the book, if you release a book or any other materials. We'll just come back and just do another interview, my man. You know? Sounds good. Love you to life, my man. You and your fam, okay? Thank you too, man. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you for having me. It was yeah. an honor, and I, I appreciate it. Word up, word up. All right, brother. So I'll, I'll check you out, man. All right? All right, man. Out, my man. Peace.